at SifPop. We're your movie friends. But are friends really friends? If you don't know them, so grab a popcorn and head over to our row so we can share movies like friends do. There's always room for more movie friends. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the writer's room. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writers Room. I'm your host, Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And today I'm joined by Sif Pop Writers Shane. How's it going, everyone? As well as uh, May. Hello, hello. We write for SifPop.com. We do movie reviews, best ever challenges, lots of other interesting movie-related articles. So make sure to check out the website, SifPop.com, to keep up with all of that. But on the podcast today, on the show, we're going to talk about uh, coming attraction. We got uh, one movie coming out this week, I think. I don't know. It's August still, apparently. Um, and uh, <laughs> and then we're, I promise we'll get to some good movies soon uh in the coming attractions but uh it will then or at least like some movies you might have heard of before <laughs> um and then we'll talk about the mad max movies given that george miller's uh three thousand years of longing had just just came out so we'll talk about the four mad max movies and when we're done talk about that since we're talking about mad max i figured let's talk about our the best ever post-apocalyptic movies uh we'll do that bec style just like on sif pop weekly and then we'll wrap up with the spinoff but first let's get a chance to know our writers this week you guys have already been on uh the show before so we've gotten a chance to ask you the the main questions i thought let's do a list of shame game and this will be fun because i have no idea what movie shane hasn't seen i feel like he's seen every movie ever but <laughs> um this is this is gonna be really interesting i was just like this will be really fun because because like not often do you come across movies that shane kanto hasn't seen so uh i have a reputation apparently that's true now i do know that this is kind of caveated because i'm pretty sure you've seen every movie that's ever come out since like 2016 like i know but i know you've seen a lot of older stuff too so i just i know you're like you're, you're writing so many reviews for the site and you're getting so many screeners and all that stuff and keeping up with like watching your letter letterbox page just gives me like i don't know like how does he have the time to- like <laughs> how does he have this much time what are you doing <laughs> i know he just he doesn't sleep that's it um so is that the secret or do i have a time turner you don't know he might he might have a time turner. might yeah. as well exist <laughs> might as well anyway um so we'll save shane's um for so okay. may why don't you go first Okay, so this is a this is two that we have seen and one that we have not, right? Yeah, so you'll list three right. movies. Uh, right. Two of them you have seen, one you have not, and then we will try to guess which one you think you have not seen. Cool. I tried to uh, throw a little bit of a curveball in here. I got three foreign films here. I have uh, Ikiru, the Akira Kurosawa movie. Mm-hmm. Harakiri, the film very in line with Kira Kurosawa that came out in the 60s, or Old Boy, the Park Chan-wook movie from mm-hmm. 2003, I believe. I have seen two. I have not seen one. What do you guys got? I'm going to say Harak. Okay. <sighs> what was the first one again? Ikiru? Ikiru, Ikiru yeah. Ikiru? Uh, Ikiru? I don't know. I think it's that one. Um, we, we talked about the, the podcast uh, at the start of the year, and actually we're talking about Harakiri um, next month. So um, pretty, pretty relevant list to this podcast. I, j- I think... This is a case of one of these things is not like the others. Uh, Ikiru is very much not like Old Boy or um, uh, or Harakiri. Har- well, yeah, Harakiri. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Having not seen Harakiri, so <laughs> great, um, great movie. Uh, Ikiru was the right answer. Nice. I, 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 right. I, I have seen Harakiri. I was so curious from the Letterbox Top 250 that I was like, I'm going to get this on Criterion. So I did on a sale and. Uh, Love that movie. Fantastic. And I'm yeah, watching. Yeah, Rowan and I just recorded an episode about it for Raw Wasteland that will be coming out eventually. Wow. So nice. everybody talking about Harakiri here. Great. Uh, <laughs> More nice. people need to see it. It's fantastic. I believe it. 
I oh, do believe Lord. it. Uh, Shane, I was going to go next to save you for last. <laughs> However, I had a movie that, that May listed, and I think I tipped my hand that I have seen Old Boy, so I've got to adjust... <laughs> Okay. I've got to adjust my list while you while you go ahead and list yours when we talk about it. So I decided to go in a particular direction with this, and these were pretty big pop culture films of a certain time. And so I have Mean Girls, The Fast and the Furious, and Transformers. No way! <laughs> There's not a chance that you've not seen one of these. This is another case of one one here is not like the other. I can see I can see you playing mind games. So it might be Mean Girls, but I think that would be too obvious. So I don't think it is. I'm saying Transformers because I hope you have self-esteem. All right, hold on. <laughs> Look, the obvious answer would be Mean Girls, but Mean Girls is too good of a movie to not have seen. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess based off of your age group that the Transformers cartoon was a big thing growing up. So there's no way you missed Ooh. Transformers. Oh, that's true. Dang, I'm still so. I my think, answer, and I think ultimately. You don't need to see the Fast and the Furious to get. So I think that's. I think it's going to be um, the Fast and the Furious is my answer. And Aaron is right. Whoa! So, so here's the thing. So I've seen Too Fast, Too Furious, and Tokyo Dream. I had never watched the first one. My brother is in love <laughs> with this franchise, and then I didn't see another one until Fate of the Furious because that's when I was seeing everything wow. in theaters. I'm like. This can't be that complicated. And I'm sitting there like, I need a manual to keep track of all of this crap. And <laughs> Fast 9 was even worse. I'm just like, yeah, Fast Nine is who are time. these people? I'm yeah. like, luckily I saw Tokyo Drift and Too Fast, Too Furious. I'm like piecing things together. But I never watched anything Transformers related except for Beast Wars until mm. I saw the 2007 Transformers. Beast Wars, woo! And... God, I've seen all five. That what about, what about Bumblebee? What about Bumblebee? Bumblebee's Bumblebee right. is a good movie. I agree. I defend and that. I really one, yeah. like Bumblebee. Look, look, I really like the first Transformers movie, and I quite like Dark, Dark of the Moon. And you know what? Revenge of the Fallen gets crapped on too much. It's a bad movie, but it's not like as bad as everybody made it out to be. Um, the, I respect I that opinion. I saw Dark of the Moon in a theater in IMAX. Yeah. And I did, I did not too. need to see giant Transformers testicles that big. Look, it's not great. Revenge of the Fallen. That's Revenge nope. of the Fallen right there. Yeah, Revenge of the Fallen. And I did not <laughs> need to see um, Shia LaBeouf almost get raped by a Transformer. Yeah, nobody or needs to see that. Or racial stereotypes, the Transformers. I'm just yeah. like, what the hell is going on here? They're not Transformers um, movies. They're Michael Bay movies. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. And then, you know... The last night had Anthony Hopkins and uh, Optimus Prime riding a dragon with a sword. Hey, don't spoil it for me. I, I like I like Optimus all Prime in the trailer. Or more, <laughs> all in the trailer. I still haven't seen the last night, but um, I should. My wife wanted to watch them, so we got through the first three. But we can't find the time for me to like be in the mood to watch Age of Extinction because it's two hours and forty five minutes, and it was the worst, the second worst theater experience I've ever had. Like in terms of hating a movie so much because the first was a good day to die hard. Like so. <laughs> oh, no. like, and also, uh, the record, Mean Girls is amazing. Yeah. They, so all right, hold on. So have classic. you still never seen Fast Five or Fast and Furious Six? 
Or did you go back and rewatch? No, at no least a I still haven't. I still have not seen the fat, uh, the Fast and the Furious. I haven't seen Fast or Furious. I haven't seen Fast Five, Fast Six, or Seven. So I haven't even seen like big emotional Paul Walker send off either. Wow. So I haven't unquote, cried like emotional. a grown man yet. F- five and six are really worth your time. Um, the rest I, of them, the rest of them, you can you're, you can leave. That's fine. Five and six are more fun than they have any right to be. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and definitely don't watch that piece of garbage nine anymore. Oh, F nine, the fast saga. You can <laughs> extended cut with more Cardi B in it. Uh, all right. Yeah, there's an extended cut that's like nine more minutes that was like home release that apparently it's just more Cardi B. So in that's case great. that's what you wanted out of your Fast and Furious movie. That's bizarre. Yeah, I know. What? <laughs> the only reason I know about know that is because, uh, for, you know, Sif Pop writer Frank, he, uh, he, 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 he likes to punish himself and then tell me about it. <laughs> he, he's like, guys, I really hated Jurassic World Dominion, but I bought it today and I'm watching the extended cut. I'm like, why? <laughs> like, Isn't that like Colin Tre- Trevorrow like said, like, I disavow the theatrical cut. Real friends like watch the extended cut. I think I, I saw don't... him say that. I don't know. He did say that. But yeah, isn't the extended cut only like 12 minutes longer? I don't know. Like In a world with Zack Snyder's Justice League in it, how does like an extra 12 minutes going to like mean? There's just, there's like, no 12 minutes is going to save Jurassic World. So Yeah, that is one of my least favorite movies of the year so far. And I'm easily pleased by giant dinosaurs and eating people and stuff. Yeah, I'm easily pleased by most. Locusts. <laughs> but why? For a movie <laughs> that is called Jurassic World Dominion that has no dominion in it. Um, that's... Yeah, why is that called that? <laughs> because it because it was supposed to be a different movie at first. Anyway, um, for my list of shame game, I had a similar theme to you, May. I was going with with uh, Eastern Asian films that are on Letterboxd Top 250. Nice, nice. Um, but but give. I think I tip my hat that I have seen Old White. Now, granted, it's been since high school since I've seen Old Boy. I'm very due for a rewatch. But thank God. Look, I'm, let me go on a side tangent here. Physical media is the best way that you can watch something. And a big reason for that is not only availability, but we are in the right, a step in the right direction because 4K discs are region free, which is the first time that things have been region free since VHS. And that is a godsend. So there is no US release of Old Boy on Blu ray or 4K, but Arrow Videos released a 4K version internationally. So that's the way you can watch it. Just a quick side note. Anyway. Yeah, I have a, I have a Blu-ray of it as well. So <laughs> yeah, on the same so. page there, man. It's yeah. Awesome. Uh, so I need to rewatch it because um, I'm sure I'd like it. I, I didn't like I didn't really like it my first time, but I didn't really know what I was watching. Um, so. Oh, yeah. You got to be prepared for that one. Well, it's that. And then it's like, nah, I'm not going to say it. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I did swap out old boy in, in for one of the films here that I have listed. Um, Dang, you didn't tell it to it. We didn't. You didn't tell us. That means we don't know. Crap. All right, here we go. So, um, still keeping in line with uh, with Eastern Asian films. Mm-hmm. I have Bong Joon Ho's Memories of Murder. I have Rashomon, and I have Infernal Affairs. Oh, the two that I've seen are fantastic. I haven't seen Infernal Affairs yet. I'm very sad. I have. Not. I'm gonna say Infernal Affairs. Can I hear your reasoning? Uh, more or is it just a gut? Gut and also this one's not like Like it's an actual modern. That's like a lot more slick and stylish. Because like I know um, I've seen. Actually I've seen Rashomon. I've seen him. I guess if you're thinking like like story kind of ways. Rash- well people die in all of them. So there you go. <laughs> uh, 
So it's Rashomon, Infernal Affairs, and... Memories of Murder. Memories of Murder. My guess, uh, I think I'm going to go Memories of Murder, just because that one seems to be harder to find, I think. There is a criterion of it, but even that for criterion I found is a little harder to find. And even amongst Bong Joon-ho's very um, critically acclaimed filmography, it seems to be one of his less talked about ones. I have that Shane's same... Holding up, Shane's holding up a Blu-ray of the criterion of it. I have the same one. I just have to walk in the next room and I'd be able to get it. But, <laughs> but um... Yeah, it's a fantastic movie. You should watch all of these. I need to watch theirs, but I'm going to guess Memories of Murder for similar reasons for um, Shane's Infernal Affairs guess. Okay. Um, well, you'd both be wrong. Rashomon's not the one I've seen. Um, oh. And I, I also have the Blu-ray of Memories of Murder in my other room, the Criterion. <laughs> and I actually haven't ever seen it on that form because Arrow, uh, or sorry, Neon released it before Criterion did, but it was only digitally. So I mm-hmm. bought the digital version and I loved it so much that when Criterion did it, it was like a sale came out, like one of the 50% off sales, like right after it came out. I was like, yep, I'm buying that because um, that was great. Rashomon's definitely. I know. I, I think I own it for sure. I, I have the uh, I have the Criterion. I, I have the Criterion of that one as well. I just haven't seen it. I, I think I think Rashomon might be my favorite Kurosawa movie, honestly. And I haven't seen all of them, but like I love Rashomon. It's It'd fantastic. be Igaru for me. So um, oh, well, I need to I watch it. <laughs> this Janus Films presents. Oh, nice! Yeah, yeah. Essential Looks beautiful version. Yeah. So actually, I didn't even think about this, but I have the Criterion for Memories of Murder. I have the Criterion for Rashomon, and I will have the Criterion for the Infernal Affairs trilogy when they come out with it in November. Now, I've never seen the second two Infernal Affairs movie. And if these don't sound familiar to you at all, they're the movies that The Departed was based off of. Um, and so I think it's more so just the first two movies. The third one was didn't use any material um, for The Departed. But um, I really like Infernal Affairs. I think it's really worth your time. It's just uh, I, I still think The Departed is a better movie. Um, but Are the sequels good? I haven't seen the sequels. So oh. when I buy the Criterion, right. that right, would be right, right, right. Yeah. And um, also, like it's, it's interesting because, interestingly enough, be- I think because... Criterion got into a deal to release the Infernal Affairs trilogy. Like Infernal Affairs is now a very difficult movie to find because it used to be able to just buy on like Vudu or iTunes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like it's not available to buy digitally at the moment. Maybe just on iTunes, but definitely not on Vudu. So um yeah, or or definitely not on like Amazon video or anything. So you just gotta like the only way uh is is iTunes at the moment. And there was never like an official or there was I think one run of a Blu-ray for it. Yeah, I got but. this uh I think I got this at FYE. Nice. Solid. Solid so, yeah. 2000s looking DVD cover there. Oh, it sure <laughs> does look like it. <laughs> it looks like a Resident Evil movie, man. Uh, <laughs> Much better so, yeah. than that. Yeah, yeah. Memories of Murder is, is great. And I, yeah. It was just, I was on the Parasite hype train. I was like, let's go. And they announced Memories of Murder the same day they did. Um, they announced Parasite would be joining. Um, and I was just like, I gotta, I gotta see this movie as soon as I can. So. That Criterion Blu-ray for Parasite looks incredible. I still have the original Blu-ray they made, but I'm thinking about selling it to just get that Criterion Parasite. It looks incredible. I have the Criterion as well, and the main selling point for me getting that over the 4K was the um, the black and white edition. There's a black and white uh, edition. There's a yes, yeah, Parasite Noir is on there <gasps> on the Criterion version. I've never heard of this. I yep. want to watch that right now. <laughs> I, I I covered it during our um, best ever black and white movies released after 1970 or whatever for the BBC. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fine. It doesn't enhance the. It doesn't. 
it, it's not the better way to watch the movie, but it can enhance certain elements, which I talked about in the article. Like when you're not focused, when you take away one of your senses, your other senses are heightened is kind of what I said. And so yeah. it made me appreciate some technical aspects of the film, but ultimately it's not, it shouldn't be the, it's not my preferred way to watch it. So, but that's me. That's my opinion. If you guys haven't seen a Logan noir, I recommend that as well. Logan is a great black and white version. Yeah. I, I mean, I kind of have similar feelings to that one as well. I prefer the color version, but I thought the black and white was worth a watch. Anyway, um, actually, I think the first time my wife ever watched Logan, I showed it to her in the black and white version. So not be- because I wanted to watch it that way, not because she cared. Yeah, so, I got you. that's a bold, bold move, Cotton. Let's see how that plays out. <laughs> she, she was watching it the other day. She's seen it a couple. Of, she's not. Se- she's she's seen like one other X Men movie and and Logan several times. Um, she's seen well, Logan's the one. best one. Logan's the best one. <laughs> Second best one. Um, one of these days I'll Whoa. cover it. Huh. Huh. What? What's I I have so much adoration for Days of Future Past. I think it's it's just perfect. So, I'm not angry uh, at that pick. I'm not. And, angry I, and I think that Logan is is a, a toothpick behind it, and and First Class is a toothpick behind that. Like I think there's there's those, and then there's a bunch of crap. Um, Whoa, so. X two is fantastic. X two is fine. What? <laughs> and and Ugh. the last stand is underrated. Um, True. And Origins fun. Wolverine is also underrated. It's bad, but it's underrated. It's not that bad. It's, it's horrible. So, Absolutely. One, one of the <laughs> one of these months, I Joe and I will talk about it. Episode of this talking about X Men movies. <laughs> one of these months, Joe and I will talk about it. It's been on the list, and probably we'll just try to time it to where you know it becomes relevant. You know, like in two thousand Marvel, Marvel announces it, or yeah. So in it's fine. I'm in no rush to watch the movies again anytime soon. So um, yeah. Well, there you go. There's our list of Shane game. Uh, we've done it. Uh, you guys have found out movies that Shane hasn't seen. Um, also, I'm <laughs> proud of myself. I went two for two and stumped you both. That's a perfect record for me today. I go. failed both Congrats. times. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Same. <laughs> yeah, rub it in, nerds. <laughs> that would make. Well, I would be the nerd. <laughs> That's, That's true. You're the nerd calling us nerds. <laughs> Thanks. Well, uh, and to celebrate, let's answer a random question, something completely non-movie related to get people an idea a little bit more about what goes on in your life. I got to know, what is the farthest distance that you have ever driven? I can kick us off while you guys think. Uh, the A year after I graduated college, uh, me and my friends drove. I was, living in, I was living in Iowa City at the time and drove to central Illinois to meet up with two friends to drive to Orlando. Um, so like eastern Iowa to orlando and we did it straight so uh i drove a third of it of the way like we we did we 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 each had one section but like that still counts you know we didn't stop for a hotel we didn't um you know do anything special or whatever so i drove from like northern tennessee to like just past atlanta so Hmm. That was my leg. It was a very long leg. <laughs> I so are we talking like actually physically drove? I I think I think drive right, not travel, not like I got on a plane to here once. Well, I, I think mean, like, like so like I didn't drive either of these trips, but I was mm-hmm. sitting in the front seat of the car. Um, I would but, take front seat passenger. I mean, I I think ideally it would be you have to drive at least a Porsche. I would take front seat passenger. I, I mean, more so just not like like a child in a car, you know? Yeah, I drove from Cherry Hill, New Jersey to Asheville, North. That's probably the for this time. It's wow. a pretty far drive still. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't seem like it because like you're like well, all East Coast. Is. But like, but yeah, North Carolina, you have to go through Virginia to get there. That's right. 
Yeah, and yeah. we went through Tennessee. Uh, How? <laughs> you went you went left to go right. <laughs> so yeah, and I also well, Virginia is a huge state, and it's really thick on the East Coast. So yeah, that's that's a long trip. Drove from like Lawrenceville, New Jersey, to somewhere in the middle, right in the Upper Sandusky, Ohio, which mm-hmm. like. Pennsylvania is a lot bigger than I think most people realize. And driving the whole entire length of the PIE Turnpike was so. Yeah, I can only imagine. Hmm. Oh man, I, I don't have I don't have any good stories. I haven't <laughs> I haven't driven any any length. I'm such a homebody. Uh, yeah, I mean I have a kind of embarrassing story if you want. Uh, so basically, there was one day when this is actually I think this is around a month or two ago actually when. And keep in mind, I I haven't driven probably anywhere besides this around an hour away from me. Like I am, I I'm not a big traveler. I'm broke. I can't. Fair. <laughs> I can't do that. Same. Um. So for some reason, I was I was sure that if I drove down this road straight, I'd eventually find this one place. I don't remember specifically what I was looking for. But I was looking for a very specific place. I ended up driving. I ended up driving probably about 50 minutes in this direction before realizing that this is not the place that I'm, I, I've, I've driven probably half an hour past where I need to be. If this place is anywhere near this on this road, cause like the road had changed names over two times by this mm. point. So I had then to just drive all the way back to see if I could find it. And I still didn't. So I ended up wasting like almost a complete, like three quarters of my gas tank looking for this place that I'm not sure exists. So if there you go, there's my embarrassing story about me driving, probably a solid, like, 200 miles just seeing a, nothing doing nothing <laughs> very similar story me and uh my wife she was my fiance at the time we were gonna drive back to my parents house to celebrate their 35th wedding anniversary some random weekend and uh we were gonna go my brother flew in from boston and so we were gonna swing by and pick him up at o'hare um, it's a little out of the way but kind of on the way and so we were going to go home, we were going to settle down, and I was going to tell my friend, tell my mom I was going to go out drinking with my friends, but I would actually go to the airport, pick up my brother, and come back. So I should have just driven straight 80, I-80 straight across uh, Illinois. Instead, um, there's this weird intersection in the Quad Cities where, um, where in order to stay on I-80 East, you need to exit um otherwise you otherwise i80 east even though this is what you'd been turning on turns into 74 and so i was in peoria illinois before i realized that i wasn't on 80 anymore which is like a pretty pretty big detour i mean it's still heading east but i was heading southeast like pretty much directly so decided you know what we're gonna we're just gonna stop in bloomington and eat at portillo's and then we'll go pick up my brother and i'll just it worked out but i think we've all been there yeah. Misadventures of yeah. all kinds of all I kinds. love driving, but not when I I love driving, but not when I'm in charge of where I go. <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> <laughs> I totally understand that. Well, uh let's get a chance to move on then. We'll talk about some movies again. We'll talk about uh Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. Is that what uh, we do here? Is, uh, yeah, we talk about movies on some sometimes on the podcast, you know. Um yeah. we'll talk about Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul, a uh, new movie coming out. Uh I think this is this is at least Peacock. Is it only Peacock? It's theaters too right i think it's theaters too yeah i've seen a lot of trailers for it okay all right so it looks like it says in theater i'm looking at the poster now in theaters come on go away and streaming only on peacock september 2nd okay so simultaneous release i think they did that with marry me and um i mean halloween kills was the same way right halloween kills and halloween ends is gonna well they got to get people to peacock some anyway um besides that wrestling (laughs) <laughs> yeah so 
Hog uh, for Jesus, save your soul. This will be interesting because Shane Shane already wrote the review for the site for this, so he's already seen it and wrote his review. Um, I haven't. So. I haven't checked. I haven't checked. Well, uh, it hasn't gone live yet. I don't. Oh. I don't think. No, because it had to wait until at least tomorrow. Yeah, I was like, I'm pretty sure it goes live. I mean, by the time this is recorded, it will be. <laughs> it should published, be, yeah. but uh, but that's like it's been scheduled for like four weeks. So <laughs> I got there really um, early. I was really surprised. So so Shane will just kind of have an asterisk on on things that he says about yo I'm I'm gonna have him not give his uh, like official review. You can go to the website to read that. Just because the point of this is is to try to just say how we're feeling about going into movies. So I'll just have Shane time travel back to when he received a screener. Um, Hunk for <laughs> Jesus, Save Your Soul is a new movie uh, written and directed by uh, Adama Ibo. Um, yeah. Mangle Tangle and Strangle all that, that pronunciation. I'm sure, but um, no, it's build from the ends. What? What? That's what the yeah, trailer it's, it's, says. Yeah, the Ebo twins are credited for. Okay. Even though it's a, directed by one. <laughs> it's probably one of those things where, like, to get like only one of them can technically get credit creditation, kind of like the Coen Brothers. Like, it's usually one of them takes screenwriting credit, and one of them takes, even though no, they both work. It's it's written by just the credited as the one Adama Ebo. Well, maybe the other brother brother is humble. Anyway, also <laughs> <laughs> starring Regina Hall and, and Sterling K. Brown. Uh, I don't, I don't know any. I recognize anybody else in here um, off the top of my head. No. Didn't do my, re- I didn't do a ton of research. I did see the trailers. First time it's been a while. Um, the the plot synopsis here is in an aftermath of a huge scandal. Trinity Childs, the first lady of a prominent Southern Baptist megachurch, attempts to help her pastor husband, Lee Curtis Childs, rebuild their congregation. Hog for Jesus, save your souls. Um, May, we'll start with you. Uh, for we're gonna we're, we know this is streaming in on Peacock. We're just gonna go ahead and just think of this as only sorry only theater, theaters yeah. and Peacock. We're only yeah. theaters. Nothing budget schedules. None of that's gonna make a factor. The only thing is your free will. How soon do you think you would go see Hung for Jesus Save Your Soul? Would you go check it out in theaters? Would you wait till you can rent it on home at home? Would you wait till it's on a streaming service you you already pay for, or are you not interested in seeing this? Oh, you see, I think the only reason I am interested in this movie because I've seen this trailer way too many times now. Because every time I go to see a movie, it's it's there, it's there, and I I, I know all the jokes. Oh my goodness! And um, but the only thing that really makes me interested is the cast and the fact that Jordan Peele and Daniel and Daniel Kaluuya are producing it. Mm-hmm. Um. So that's interesting to me. The if none of that was the case, I probably would skip it altogether because it just kind of does not look like my kind of thing. I'm not really into mockumentaries in general, but because of that, I'd probably do a stream wait for kind of. It, it seems like it could be interesting. It didn't really sell me on the trailer that it was dealing with any other bigger ideas beyond just it's a jokey, funny movie about this awkward kind of weird situation. So I'm I, I'm I'm cautious, but I'm interested because of who's involved. That's that's kind of where I sit on. Sure. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and go next and I'm just going to say I'm totally not interested in seeing this movie because this looks like this looks like the bad version of Righteous Gemstones for me. Like, like, why does a show like this exist when Righteous Gemstones exist? Or why does a movie like this exist when white when Righteous Gemstones is perfectly great at what it's doing? So, um, I don't I don't know. I I, I want to get to this afterwards. But like, what is Sterling K. Brown doing? Um, <laughs> Shane, what is your anticipation level for this? So even before I got a screener for this, it was definitely in a the theater. Definitely, like nice. I was super excited for this film, which made it even more exciting that I got a screener for it. And here's the thing: this trailer undersells. This, this is not a joke, and yeah, it's funny, but this is very serious at times. And there's moments where I feel like a sledgehammer. 
And oh. like this, uh, this is one of those times where the trailer just tries to lean in on like silly gags and stuff like that, and completely ignoring the seriousness and the actual deep biting commentary it has on organized religion and scandals. <laughs> and honestly, it takes some very interesting perspective on the feeling of needing to make marriage. And that's really mm. what the like the core of the film is. And like Regina Hall, it gives one of the best performances I've seen this year. And this is definitely a movie that I feel bad that the trailer's just playing this off as something silly because it's not. But okay. we will see if people go check it out or if they're gonna go check out Spider Man No Way Home extended extra fun stuff version or Jaws. Look, based off of the trailer, I'd rather see either, either of the other two over this in a by heartbeat. By what you just said, that made me much more interested in it. Like, much, much more interested in that. Yeah, yeah um, I mean, Universal, where's my money? So you're saying this is more <laughs> Isa Tammy Faye than Righteous Gemstones? Uh, this is this is even more biting, cutting than Isa Tammy Faye. Like, okay. there's some... I felt legitimately really uncomfortable at most in this film, and... How the film plays out, what the scandal is, is extremely interesting. Hmm. Okay. Because, like, the trailer barely, barely hints at that, honestly. And I really do hope that people check this out. I don't think they're going to, though. Like, I feel like this is going to fly under the radar, especially at this point where we're in dead zone. Because, like, legitimately, the highest grossing movie this weekend was $7 million, and the invitation didn't even deserve it. No, it, didn't, it did not. <laughs> it did not. It did not. <laughs> so here's my thing with Sterling K. Brown, like 2016 Sterling K. Brown is on top of the world because the first season of This Is Us is premiering and Sterling K. Brown gives one of the best performances I've ever seen in TV. In the same year, he gives one of the best performances I've ever seen in TV in The People vs. O.J. Simpson. So like 2016 Sterling, Bra- Sterling K. Brown, the sky is the limit. And like his next big project is Hotel Artemis, which is like fine for what it is, but let's call it what it is. Discount John Wick. Yep. Uh, and Aww, I, I like didn't, s- <laughs> it's fine. Right. It, but it's, it, it's, it's not what it should have been. Um, I didn't see Marshall, so I don't know how big of a role he has in there, but he's in like four seconds of black Panther. He has an amazing uh, one, one off episode in Brooklyn nine, nine. And then he gives a, Terrible performance in a terrible movie with the Predator. I was waiting for that one. Yeah, and then he's got Angry Birds <laughs> movie two, and then Waves, which I hear is really good. I just haven't seen yet. He's yeah, amazing. Waves is fantastic. You should and, totally watch and it. And then he's in Frozen two, which I couldn't care about at all. And then Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is one of those TV lists of shame for me. Um, do it, like it's just like 2016 Sterling K. Brown. I would have just a much bigger trajectory. Like I would have just thought like this guy's good. I mean, he already has plenty of Emmys from this is us and people versus OJ Simpson, but like I would have expected this person like him to be like already in the conversation for Oscars. And it just seems like, I don't know, I, again, having not seen waves, like he, he hasn't been nominated yet. And again, yeah. like his performance in predator is just like, what are you doing guy? Like off of the trailer, what is oh, he doing in this movie? But based cool. off of what you're saying, Shane, sounds like he knows exactly what he's getting into. But And there's a lot more to that character than just the running joke that he seems like he He looks like a caricature in the trailer. He looks he's, he's a... always flailing his body movements. He's always yeah. He's got like anyway. So, it, so hopefully you, I saw you got me interested. In that trailer. 
Yeah, <laughs> so. I, I, I might actually check it out. I might actually check it out now. You you have sold me. I might actually do that, like 100%. Well, you've you've officially moved me from not interested to probably still streaming again. Like, yeah, just watch I, Mark, yeah, I'll 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 check this out when Peacock folds and 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 then their content is transferred somewhere else. Um, <laughs> so what, like six months? WWE uh, just buys all of Peacock at that point. Uh, honestly, <laughs> like it may not be a bad move, especially if if Peacock isn't performing as well as they thought. If if WWE buys their content back, launches their own standalone, and then the rest of the rest of the shows are sold to whoever wants them, Roku. you know Netflix would pay tons of money for The Office again. So yeah, probably. <laughs> Guys, I think we just solved the Peacock problem. Now, how do we solve the Paramount Plus problem? Oh God, don't even get me. You're not going to take that away from Trey Parker, Matt Stone, and Taylor Sheridan. <laughs> <laughs> the only people on there. What you ain't? You're not watching Orphan First Kill? Oh, I got a screener mm. for that. apparently a lot of other people like that a lot more than i did that movie just made me mad (laughs) i've heard it's crazy i haven't even seen the first one but i've heard it's crazy it's it it is crazy it is that (laughs) (laughs) well anyway there's hung for jesus save your soul hopefully a surprise hit um don't it sounds like one of those would have been better off having not seen the trailer um, so if you want to see Sterling K. Brown in and Regina Hall in a weighty movie about 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 I would assume church people sucking is kind of the movie. It that's one thing it tries to hit on a lot of this. Okay, a lot of things. Well, yeah, I officially wait, wait, consider me mildly interested, but yeah. Um, here we go. And go read Shane's review on the site. That'd be great. Um, the review should be live by the time this episode comes out. So if you haven't already seen it. Uh, on the on the site, if you haven't already checked it out, go check that out, and I'm sure he'll, Shane will have more things to tell about you, tell about this film for you. Shameless plugs well, all around. Shameless <laughs> plugs all around. Well, speaking of shameless plugs, uh, time for us to promote uh, the stuff that you want to people people to check out. You know, people have kind of heard some of your movie takes and whatnot. May, let's start with you. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm on Twitter at Mail Media. I will not. I'm not active on there, but if you message me, I'll definitely talk to you. I like talking to. People. I don't like seeing people's worst opinions they have in the world. Um, so I rarely go on it. Um, uh, you can find me on Letterbox uh, at at Allen, I'm pretty sure. And uh, yeah, just find me at the theater. Go watch movies. Support films. There you go. And Shane, for you. Well, the biggest thing is the Wasteland Reviewer YouTube channel, which I'm closing in on 900 subscribers. I'm going to get that thousand. Finally get monetized after six years. But, there you go. Uh, you know, Instagram, I kind of funnel everything through. But, you know, I'm very active at Sith Pop. I have a whole bunch of articles and podcasts and YouTube videos through Scribe Magazine because I feel like I'm the only person who makes them content sometimes. And me... Me and Mike Hilty, I feel like you're the only people who make them content. Um, and then um, one of the things that I've been working on that I really want to kind of throw out there is I'm doing a pet project called The Cinematic Wasteland, where I'm taking like my passion for film and taking through the history of cinema. So right now I'm in the process of doing research for my 1906 episode. So I've done podcasts on pre- 1900 and 1900 so far and the goal is i just keep going until i run out of years so we'll see how that goes and you know i just have a bunch of other crap all over the place check out my tiktok my letterboxd letterboxd i do want to preface i don't post anything on there except if it's a new so 
like new new movies and you've just watched it or new movies and it just came out like brand like movies that have been released this okay, like you. that like at this time because like like i just watched moonstruck tonight i didn't put that on Lux because i'm doing that for a podcast with my friends um but the thing is it's like i have a lot of sometimes <laughs> it's hard to keep track of everything but you know and we'll see so hopefully you go all go check out all that stuff there you go all the things to check out i'll link shane's twitter in the bio and uh, as well for me so you guys can thank you, thank see, you. see things that uh like if you want a, a quick like copy and paste um well yeah earned a love, subscriber on youtube by the way and one on tiktok <laughs> i just got the notifications thank you <laughs> you're welcome so um yeah, uh, the, the thing I want to promote here real quick is Patreon, patreon.com slash hiphopwr. Check out all, all the cool content. Um, we'll, we'll f- I'll, I'll talk with Shane afterwards and discuss what he wants the exclusive review for September to be. Yeah, I got <laughs> to keep up with that better. Yeah, me too, but that's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> I'm figure out some things. Yeah, and I appreciate it. So if you want to join, join Shane, be part of the crew. Uh, over there then uh sifpop.com or patreon.com slash sifpopwr plenty of good stuff happening over there plenty of old archive stuff that you can check out including my thoughts on get out um that was the 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 july ex- sorry not get out nope wow that was weird um that was, was the say, that, that came out a while ago <laughs> yeah yeah it just a long gestating process <laughs> yeah yeah just it, it took me till now to finally understand the full weight of the movie no <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it might take me that long to finally appreciate Nope. A little tease, I guess. Um, Such a good movie. Incredible. Yeah. So so anyway, little tease for, for some content that you can go check out over on Patreon uh, to support the show. Or if you're like, look, I want to donate a couple bucks, but I don't really care about getting into the perks. That works too. You know, uh, anyway, <laughs> on to the Civ topic. Uh, we got some Mad Max movies to talk about. Um, we will, first of all, full spoilers for all four movies. Um, we'll, we'll talk about our experience with the franchise with each individual film, and then we'll go through them in release order. So, um, that's, that's what we'll be doing. So uh, this isn't really a franchise that I, I think warrants a, like, don't check these out until you see them. Like, this isn't one of those movies where you're like, you should watch this before, before, um, you know, watch, like, I, like I, I did that for The Great Escape. I was like, you should really watch The Great Escape before hearing us talk about The Great Escape, especially for the third act. But like, eh, like these are these are 80s action movies and then a 2015 action movie. So um, the experience yeah. of watching them, the story isn't always as important as just the experience of watching them. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. So if you can't spoil that experience. It's a whole other kind of thing. Yeah. That's true. That's true. There are definitely lots of things that we just won't be able to articulate with our words. So uh, anyway, that's just I don't I feel like if you haven't seen them, buckle up. It's fine. Um, so we'll start with them. Um, but first, actually, I want to go ahead and just talk about what's your experience with the franchise? What, what does this franchise mean to you? I mean, I, 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 both of you seem to really jump at the gun and Shane, I have a feeling that something I've, I have a fact (laughs) that I know that at least, uh, at least the concept of this, of this world means a lot to you. So actually Shane, I'll, I'll let you start. What's your experience with Mad Max and what does this franchise mean to you? So if you couldn't tell from all the branding of all the things that I do and the <laughs> Wasteland Reviewer, it's because of Mad Max. And I remember it was either my senior year in high school or my freshman year of college. And, you know, my grandparents had Dish. I'm pretty sure we had Direct TV. And it was one of those times where, like, we had Encore time. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it's just like I'm sitting there flipping through channels and I see this movie, Mad Max, 
And I'm like, what's this? And you know what? I forgot to wear my leather today. Um, not that any of you can see it anyway. But just seeing this crazy world that George Miller was able to craft, this legitimately inspired me to care about more movies more than just like watching movies. Because like mm. I remember my movie collection just being like, I have all the Indiana Jones movies. I have all the Rocky <laughs> movies. I have Star Wars. And like this really opened my eyes to what cinema would be. And mm. I remember watching, I think The Road Warrior was a transformative experience for me watching that first time. And just being like, how did they make this? And like, this is a guy who was a, a doctor in a emergency room who got inspired to make a bunch of movies based off of the horrific accidents that he saw people coming and just made this insane world. And I've done some script writing in my time since then, and I had a whole entire franchise of movies that were inspired by this. I've obviously branded every, all of my content based off of The Wasteland. I've even cosplayed as Max Rockatansky at a convention before. And it's the kind of thing where it's just like, this really changed a lot of things for me, which is why I love this franchise so much. And spoiler alert, Mad Max Fury Road is my second favorite film of all time. So I was very excited to talk about this. As I sit here with my Mad Max high octane collection of Blu-rays here. So that's, uh, that's it. For sure. Uh, May, what's your history with this franchise? Well, dang, I don't know how I can follow that. (laughs) (laughs) Too bad. Uh, Sorry. um, It's all good. It's all good. Um, But granted, I still think I have a pretty um, unique experience with it. Um, You see, Mad Max Fury Road came out right around the time where I was like really getting into stuff, like really getting into movies. It came out about a year or two after. But I had always seen those Mad Max movies on TV because my dad loved them. He absolutely loved them. Um, I oddly probably saw Thunderdome more than all the others, which is a weird one, but whatever. Um, And I always remember enjoying them. But once that time came around and Mad Max Fury Road came out and I watched it, I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. And so I went back after that, that transformation that Shane talked about happened. And it was one of the first times I ever looked back at something, appreciated it in a whole new way that I didn't before. Normally I was just watching new stuff and going, oh, this is this whole new area, but now I could go back and see things in totally new lights than I did before. And the Mad Max was one of the first experiences I had like that. So I I also hold it in a pretty special place. There are some of also just some of the most notable films and one of my favorite genres of all time, action and science fiction. They're just, they're incredible. Each one is entirely different and I love them. They're awesome. Uh, I have a bit of a checkered past with this move with this, and I have a feeling I'm going to be the odd person out. Um, so from most of the episodes, so I saw I, Mad Max was like a common name of like one of those franchises, like that, like by the time I was in high school, I really decided I'm a movie person, like Mad Max, Rocky Rambo like all these things like oh, and hadn't seen any of them but like popular 80s franchises that I know like these are things these are iconic these are not cult status but they are like solid action franchise n- household names and um I picked up the blu-ray for 4 bucks I think at a store and um I I really didn't like the first movie when I first watched it and I'm going to attribute it to, I watched the trailer like to get myself, like what, what am I getting into? And the trailer essentially gives away the entire movie. So 
that, that's, that, that'll happen. Yeah, <laughs> that sucks. So I had a really bad experience with the first Mad Max movie the first time I saw it. And uh, and then the next time I saw it was this week. So um, uh, I so I think I was just like, OK, Mad Max just isn't for me. And then Fury Road came out a couple years later and the trailers came out. I was like, yo, and <laughs> and seeing all the all the everything about it saying like, you really don't like you there. You have to you have you have you do not have to have any history with 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 this franchise to understand anything about this movie. Um, and I saw it in theaters and it's it's an, it was an incredible experience right off the bat. One of those picked up the Blu-ray as soon as I could, you know, picked up a 4K not that long afterwards, you know, all that stuff. So uh, and, and then afterwards, I had watched The Road Warrior at some point, um, but I'd never seen Beyond Thunderdome. So um I'd seen the road warrior because I heard it's essentially if Fury road was made in the eighties and like fair. So, um, we'll get there, but, but before we talk about the road warrior, we got to get to the first Mad Max. So, um, all right, I'll kick us off since this is my, like coming back to the film after, uh, having a really bad experience with the, with it the first time and being very upset. We already said we're going to spoil this being very upset that it's revealed that Max's wife and kid die in the trailer um because that is like that is like most of the way through the movie and kicks off the last 20 minutes of events yeah Um, so it's it's the big turning point for the third act yeah that's like and and my other my other big issue with this movie and we will talk about this as a franchise as a whole because i think it's it's so interesting that like mad max was labeled as a post-apocalyptic event for me and i was like this is just kind of like australian (laughs) outback like this isn't necessarily now of course, later it is, but like at least this first movie is like this. There's nothing about this that's post-apocalyptic at all. They're and chilling then, at a beach, yeah. <laughs> right, they're hanging out at a beach. There's still plenty of people around. Sure, people are douchebags, but people are always douchebags. Like so. Anyway, um, so a lot of that went into why I didn't like the movie the first time. Uh, I would say as far as to hated the movie the first time. And after watching it now, I'm gonna go with I just don't like this movie, guys, and I'm so sorry. Um, it, I like what the movie is going for, but it's just not a movie made for me. And it's such a slow burn, but it takes, and the ending is really satisfying, but it's one of those where I don't really enjoy the ride to get there. Not like once upon a Holly, once upon a time in Hollywood, I think is a slow burn that leads to a really crazy ending that is worth the journey the entire time. And I just, I can't say the same for Mad Max. I, I really like the last like 20 minutes of this movie and don't care about the first, don't care about the movie until his wife and kids and dog die. So it's um, the first time those two movies have been compared ever. Mad Max <laughs> and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> Setting records on this podcast. So, all right. So I hate to kick it off with a negative, but I just have, I had to get that out there. A little bit of negativity out of the way. Just, uh, I, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll move on. Uh, May. Like yeah. it, love it, hate it, dislike it, think it's just okay. Uh, I, it depends on my mood. <laughs> um, right now I'm going to settle on like it. Uh, because, you see, here's the thing. I, I I saw the other movies before this one. So I also mm. had that like, like this was actually the last one I saw. Like I'd seen Fury Road before this one. So I was like, I had the same idea of you, but not from the trailer, from all the other ones. So when I was seeing it, I was like, what? The, there's grass everywhere and people are just hanging out at clubs and like, what? <laughs> what's <laughs> so when i first saw it i was also kind of like what but but like yeah and i've only re- watched it for the second time today so so yeah i i watch it now and i kind of think of it like it's kind of like a beta run it's a it's a proof of concept sure. clearly clearly like george miller was as you mentioned super inspired and you can see that man if anything i just like 
as someone like as a filmmaker, I'm like, whoa, like this guy did so much with so little and put so much passion and not only that, like ferocity into this movie. And like there's some raw energy in this movie that, of course, he'll expound on in later movies. And we'll definitely talk about that then. Mm -hmm. But he, he did something incredible here. And even like so even though I have flaws with this movie, it's hard for me to be mad about any of it because this man went out there and made that movie and he captured something with one what is equivalent today of one point four million dollars that most directors can't even do with like one hundred and fifty million. And I think that's incredible. Right. And I think I want to label that at least in terms of this specific movie, I'm detaching myself from the story because the fact that this movie is made at all, especially George Miller making a career out of this, like it's astonishing. So it's it's quite the accomplishment. So, uh, yeah, that's separated from uh, Shane. I like the first. It's just like it. Yeah, because you could. Here's the thing. You could tell this had no money. You can yeah. tell. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This was like <laughs> there's bad acting in it. There's yeah. clunky filmmaking in it, but, and like, there's a lot of stuff that could easily, like, there's definitely scenes where I'm just like, did this need to be in here? But yeah. I feel like there's specific pieces to this. Like Hugh Key's Burns is amazing as Toe Cutter. He is a disturbing villain. And that's of course why they brought him back to be in Morton Joe. Um, mm -hmm. And even Mel Gibson in this like, you don't get to see Mel he, Gibson. He's good, doing. though. He's really good, yeah. And for, like, a young man, because, like, he's, like, 20, 21 years old. And Ooh. legend has it, they hired him because he came in with two black eyes after a bar brawl. And they're just <laughs> like, that's our man. And <laughs> it's, they didn't even have enough money to, for leather. Max's outfit's the only leather outfit. Everything else is pleather. Like, mm, they couldn't wow. even afford that. So the stunts are incredible for how little money that you had. The just the idea in like the last 15 minutes or so are exhilarating. And this launched the Saw franchise. Because it did. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to mention that. Yeah. It's that ending. That first movie is like, whoa, that's where they got <laughs> the idea for Saw from was yep. him making him cut through his own ankle. Um, yeah. That's messed up. The awesome. max you see at the end of this movie is quite the descent of a human being. And yeah, be clear, it takes until 15 minutes left in this movie for his family to die. So mm -hmm. like, this is not like him seeking revenge for like the whole entire movie. It's like, no. Just a bunch of people you hanging out for the whole entire movie. And well, and so the other thing too, along with that, is you name your movie Mad Max and, and Max is only mad for the last like five minutes <laughs> of the movie. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, so that was also one of those things I was like, oh, this is not, and, and look, here's the other thing too. I grew up with Lethal Weapon like as a common in my household. Like that was a household title yeah. to same, me. Same. The, the, the four movies. movies. So like mm -hmm. you, you guys are saying like, like Mel Gibson is fine in this movie. He's fine in I think all three. I don't think he's particularly great. He's or he's not bad either. You know, he's he's fine, but like nothing compares to his role in uh, in Lethal Weapon. Like it, that those well, roles were just like very that's Mel Gibson. It's very well, different, right? But like I'm thinking like. The, th the scene to me in this first movie that's the most important is the scene where he tells the police chief that he's retiring, uh, that he's quitting the force. And like, he's kind of a bad actor in that scene. <laughs> he's, he doesn't really carry the emotional weight that well. So he, he, he looks he looks like he, he looks like a lot of the students in Barry, like are, tr are giving that performance like in. So anyway, it's. He's fine. He's not great. He's not bad, especially when it when it comes to the more physical stuff later. Like, yeah, sure, he's great. I'll definitely push back about the other films, but we'll get to that. But like, yeah, this okay. is yeah, same, same. I'm going to push back is, on that as well. 
this is a great trial run for this world. And obviously this is not the apocalypse yet. Like there's still, it's a fringe of um, civilization. And then it goes full blown, full blown. Yeah. You could, you could tell that there's descent of laws and there's descent of, of, of kindness or compassion or any, anything like it really feels like the, um, the interceptors or the cops are, almost like the like, last line of they're almost like way. judges in the judge judge universe like yeah yeah it really feels like yeah they they have the permission to be judge jury and execute executioner but like they're the, the small group that is really the only side that fights for good anymore and um yeah and it's fun it was it was also fun reading a lot of the trivia where it's like they didn't get filming permits to, to shoot here so they're like they set up and shot for 20 minutes and left like <laughs> <laughs> It's it, that stuff's a lot of fun. Yeah, like the fact that this movie was made is a miracle, and uh, and it's definitely nothing short of a technical behind the scenes accomplishment and all that. It's just, uh, man, I think so. The scene in the stairwell with um, where he tells the police chief that he's going to quit, and he, and he lists his reasoning. He's like, if I go out there, like I'm I'm one bad second away from being just like them, and it's it's a concept that I think is is brilliantly played with, and pr- particularly like it's straight from the Killing Joke. So like it's a it's a it's a it's an incredible concept and I think it could bring tons of character value. I guess I Killing Joke published after this movie. I feel like Killing Joke yeah, is like Mad Max was wow. before the Killing Joke cuz I, I was Killing like Joke I want to like, I want to fact check myself here. Killing Joke was like 80s, I'm pretty sure. That's what I thought like 82 um because this was 79 79 yeah Yeah. Uh, 1988 okay so maybe so maybe this inspired the killing joke but i think the killing joke takes that idea and runs it really well so you have one story about somebody who is trying to emphasize all it takes is is one bad day for you to become this to become just like me the worst person ever and it sees max explore like starting to explore that but it never does it really fully enough that i ever bought into it and it was one of those like i just saw it was like oh there's so much ways to potential here and max eventually becomes kind of a, a counter to that like uh or he eventually becomes kind of the the, the fullness you know especially he, he becomes it at the end of this movie but he eventually learns to like tame it except when he really needs to bring it out in the later movies but um you know or or to be like again more of an anti-hero um but it's just it's one of those I just thought this could have been a really, really, really interesting character piece. And the movie wants to do that. It just it just falls flat for me there. And that's the importance of like structure, right? Because, I mean, if you had like a just defined character structure from when start, middle and end, like act one, you, you set up the world and like his place in it Two, you show the the fringe and the, the like tightrope he's walking. And the third, yep. you show the one thing that was holding him to the good part of the world being taken away. And then he descends into the madness. It's important to structure. And he just he wasn't a screenwriter yet. You know, he hadn't. Driven. Sure. And so like it. It's understandable. Like, yeah, that's why I kind of like the story, I think, is the weakest part of the movie because the performances are even if they're not good, they're fun to watch to me. The stunts are great. The even like the cheesy music that seems to betray the emotion of the scene a lot of the time is often still fun. So like I can be on board with that. But like, I just wish there was a little bit more like kinks, like written out with the writing. Essentially, I think that's the main reason this movie just like doesn't work on like on the levels doesn't work for me on a watching level sure it just took him 35 years to perfect it and we all benefited. <laughs> yeah yeah i uh, i hate to start out of a downer but it's like it's like we're noting it's like it's a trial run it's george miller wasn't a director like it's 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 a lot of the movie is paper thin and i'm happy it did well because i'm really happy we got fury road and 
happy. Uh, really feet. happy. I'm really happy we got <laughs> some of the other Mad Max films, but uh, uh, but it's it, ultimately it's just it's just a movie that I just gosh I look at so much potential. I'm just like man, this could be awesome because like that opening scene where like all the police are just getting like you know, they're they're made look to look silly by um uh, what was his name the he wanted to be an important Knight Rider. Night Rider. Night Rider. Yeah. 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 Sorry, I've watched four Max Mad Max <laughs> movies in the last couple of days. Uh, <laughs> um, like, like where Night Rider's just making them all look silly, and then they have Max come out and be this like big, big threat. And but it was also one of those I was watching the movie with my wife, and I was like, "But Max didn't do anything to stop the chase because he would have had to swerve <laughs> anyway, like, <laughs> or he would have yeah. run into the dead anyway." It's like he was just whatever. I was gonna let him and go. Just didn't do anything. Yeah. It was shot really well. It was intense. It was it's fine. I'll, yeah, the the stunts were awesome. There was a lot. There was lots of things that were shot really well. And um, oh, and when that Ford Falcon comes out at the end yep. in Black Interceptor, I'm just like, oh, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, like that first scene when I was watching it, like I was like, you can't tell this is a first time director. At least for me, no. that 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 action scene. That looks incredible, man. It's crazy what they did with like 70s technology for that opening scene. It's just the silly Still, family stuff. It just blows my mind, man. It's awesome. Anyway, um, we, we, we ready to move on to the Road Warrior? I, I'd love to talk yeah. about the Road Warrior. Okay, I just, I, look, I want to make sure I don't want to short shift this, you know. Uh, all right, so the Road Warrior. This is uh, the, the follow-up, of course. We Could we... <laughs> Can can either of you explain to me like what happens between Mad Max and the Road Warrior? Like, because clearly this one is post-apocalyptic and like has been for some time. So like, is it ever explained how the world becomes this way? Because I never picked up on it. This is what happens when okay. you run out of oil. <laughs> there there are two things kind of though. Is it one? I guess the the on surface example is nuclear war, right? It's like because well, like... in there's scenes in Beyond Thunderdome that seem to imply that, right? And they blankly met, like say it in the beginning of Fury Road. They say like nuclear bombs yeah. ravage the world. Yeah, okay. right, you know? and there's so, plenty of stuff to to pick in from Fury Road. <laughs> right. But also too, George Miller has said, and I think I saw an interview with him where he said that each one of these movies don't really mean to be in continuity with one another. It's more that each one of these movies are meant to be like legends. Somebody tells yeah. about this Max guy. Huh. And so and that's why like you see little details appear in different places, like the little music box that he gives to the mm-hmm. barrel barrel kid in this movie appears in that movie in Fury Road. Sure. Someone has it. It's just so details kind of get mixed up and everything. People assume that's why maybe this is the barrel kid in the fourth one, or maybe it's just that's why he's young after all this time, because clearly the amount of time that passed in real life passed in between Thunderdome and here, but he's younger here. It's it it doesn't it's not meant to make sense timeline wise and spe- and like specificity. So I think it's more just like it exists in its own little bottle. Okay. Yeah, because That's... only the first Mad Max movie is from his. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Every other one's told by somebody True. else. True. Because Furiosa is the narrator for Fury Road. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because like you have that opening narration here and the closing narration and like that Ray Winstone sounding guy doing <laughs> the narration for this movie. Love it. Yeah, it, Love it. It just feels like the first, the first movie is we're on the brink of something about to happen but but then but then like it's never necessarily like said or implied like i mean i guess it is but i never not enough that i not enough that i picked up on it it's not like terminator where it's like then judgment day happened and they show judgment day happening like yeah i i don't and if you couldn't tell i don't think george miller cares about exposition no (laughs) so like it's just like here's all this insanity 
you could see this happen. Like, people are crazy. Something happened. I, pre- I appreciate that perspective that you brought me because that makes that makes me like this franchise a lot more that like this is just tales of this guy named Max. It, it helps like break apart any continuity. It helps kind of like, you know, the place where the city where Max is in in the first movie, like you got to think if there was a nuclear war, like that place would be fine because there's not enough people to for it to be affected. So but like nuclear war and affecting oil and like it, it kind of helps just thinking about. Like, yeah, lots of places, lots of things could affect lots of different ways. Either way, there's significantly fewer people and people are a lot more savage than they ever were. So, I mean, they um, are kind of like backwards fairy tales, these movies in general, though, right? Mm-hmm. Like they all kind of have like the structure and the general like main character thorough line of going through like a series of tasks and tribulations to where they eventually change to the end to be more compassionate and help and save the people. You know, that's basically the thorough line of the two, three and four, you know. I'm almost so, like, more, the more we're talking about this, I'm almost more interested in these movies if it's just a completely new person each time. Yeah. Even, like, even if Mel Gibson is in the role, like, I don't, like, if it's, as long as it's not Max Rocketat, like, if it's just, like, man, like, can you imagine if at the end of Bad Max Fury Road, if, since Tom Hardy never reveals his name, if, if in the end when he says, um, my, my name's Max, Max, like, what if he'd have said anything else? Like, my name's Nick, like. <laughs> like my name's like, Bob, <laughs> Mad Nick Fury like, Road. <laughs> like, but, but it, it would make sense to still call it Mad Max, and you know, because like it's in this universe, like it, well, it gives it connective tissue. Anyway, I'm just now that I'm thinking, I, I'm more, I'm more interested in this movie as an anthology than I am anything else. Well, I feel like it has a similar vibe to the Dollars trilogy trilogy. Where it's sure, like, yeah, yeah, that's a good comparison. Less, Clint Eastwood's playing the same exact character. And well, you know, the good, the not, bad, and the, the, yeah. the bad, and the ugly is a prequel. That's where he gets his poncho. Um, but you know, it's like, yeah. Um, Whoa, but the thing, I didn't, I never realized that. <laughs> yeah, because it takes place during the Civil War, and right. like you see him hardened throughout the. Right. Um, but the thing is, it's like huh. <laughs> you. This is really like it's you know the feral kids or the lost children or Furiosa's perspective on mm-hmm. this specter of a human being was and there's no baggage of who max was in the road warrior or thunderdome as much you do get that which i really appreciate in fury road because he's like haunted by the yeah. people he didn't save like literally haunted um mm-hmm. in his own mind and but like here it's just like he has like what 15 lines of dialogue in this whole entire movie in this whole entire franchise (laughs) (laughs) and that's the thing because including the video game the 2015 video (laughs) game that i hear is really good that i want to play i I own i just haven't played yet but i guess just to throw this out there like i love the road warrior um before you ask um but like this is i agree this is feels like the kind of film that like this was what george miller wanted to make and just imagine if he had 150 million dollars then he would make something like fury road but this is what he had and yeah. the money that he had to make it. And this has one of the most exhilarating chase sequences and climaxes of an action movie ever. And mm-hmm. this movie does not pull punches on how far in humanity will spiral and do to each other to survive. And you have crazy characters all over and great visuals. I love the gyro captain. Um, Bruce Spence is an underappreciated Australian gem who has been in illustrious franchises like The Matrix and Lord of the Rings, the extended editions, Um, and 
Chronicles of Narnia. And he, and yeah, he was in briefly in Revenge of the Sith uh, for Star Wars. And it's just like, he's such a fun character and he's such a great foil to Max because he's verbose, he's obnoxious, and Max is just like, I don't. But the real (laughs) hero of this movie is Dog. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Which. If I could get a dog at some point in my life when I actually have a yard, I'm getting a cattle dog and I'm naming him either Max or Dog because of this movie. <laughs> Very nice. Because Australian cattle dogs are the most scrappy of all dogs. Just like Max. Uh, May, the road warrior, do you like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, or think it's just okay? Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Love it with all my heart. It's great. It's fantastic. 80s action movie perfection. Uh, man, I don't know. I, I'm easy I'm easy to please, and this surpasses any expectations I can have. I love watching this. I've watched it probably 50 times in my life. It's so easy. I didn't even have to rewatch it for this. I know it back to front. It's incredible. I love it. <laughs> I'll go really like it for this one. I can't quite pull myself to say love, but it's, it's one of those that, like, the only thing that keeps me out of the love it camp is that, like, this movie is all style and very little substance. And that's totally fine. Cause that is exactly what the movie is trying to do, but it's hard for me to get fully like, be like, yes, I adore this movie, especially when there's so much that can be explored. And I think like saying it's all style, and very little substance is, is not necessarily saying that there is no substance. It's just saying the movie cares about the action sequences and everything else is secondary. And that again, that's fine. George Miller made the movie he wanted to, and it's a hell of a ride. So like, I really like it. So I don't think um, you're going to hear anyone deny that. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, cause there like definitely is some good stuff between Max and the, uh, the, the child that screams. I don't know. The feral I'm, I'm going to be really bad with the names or whatever, but a lot of times it is child who screams, you know? Um, but like, like there's some good Metal stuff going on there and there's, you know, there's, there's that, there's that moment at the end where the tanker winds up being filled with sand. Um, like, oh, and yeah. there's, so there's good. a like there's a lot of really good stuff in in some of these movies and there's again just just the concept of if you've not seen this one if you're just listening to this and are just like yeah I've seen Fury Road so whatever um like the concept is there's this this place that they have oil and there's these bandits that are like we want your oil get out of here or we're going to kill you all and so they are planning to get out of there like that's that's the movie and then and then there becomes this like fight on the right it's a little more complex than that but like that's the movie. One thing that I just love about this is the pop culture impact that this movie made. And as a pro wrestling fan, just being like, uh, oh, yeah. the Doom, a.k.a. The Road Warriors, <laughs> completely rip off their whole entire gimmick from this. Demolition completely ripped off their gimmick from the Lord Humongous. They even yeah, have like... masks and everything. Um, <laughs> Chris Jericho is indeed the Ayatollah of Rock and Rolla. And it's just like, <laughs> yep, got that from Mad Max, from the Road Warrior. And it's so influential. And like, this is the point where they even had um, Vernon Wells' character pop up in Weird Science. I was going to mention Weird Science. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's how big of an impact that this made on action movies and science fiction. And what a, like, the Lord Humongous is just like, look at this dude. Like, <laughs> he's amazing it's um and morton joe's so much more interesting in terms of what he represents compared yeah. to Lord humongous but like that look is something else and then vernon wells's character with you know the shoulder pads the mohawk the chaps everything yep. and he's dangerous 
And he's such a cool henchman in like a action movie. And then you have that Mick Jagger looking guy that runs the entire <laughs> oil rig. And, you know, there's a lot of fun characters in this. And I feel like that's why, like, that, between the action and the characters and, like, the world building, this is such a great, great ride. And there are emotional stakes in, like, oh, I got so mad, so mad when they flipped his car and killed his Dirk. <laughs> Just, like... <laughs> How dare they? That makes me so sad the first time I watched this. I'm just like, I... Because that was one smart dog. He could operate a sawed-off shotgun. Right, I was just about to mention that. It's my favorite favorite single like part of the movie. Like We're watching it. And, like These movies are, are show-don't-tell. And so you kind of oh, yeah. have to piece them together. Like All of them. And, and in some ways, that works really well. Uh, in some ways, it can leave your audience confused, but the movies are fun enough that you want to rewatch them for the most part. Um, like especially for your road, it's like how do you not want to just watch that movie immediately when it ends? But um, but the but like it's show don't tell. So like me and my wife are watching it and just kind of commentating. And also like my wife fell asleep during the first movie; she was already kind of tired, but she had only seen Fury Road. So I was like, look, it's not going to be Fury Road. And she just checked out after 20 minutes because she's like, no, he, he was right. But like she stayed awake and, and attentive through the other ones. And so like, um, you know, we're like commentating like, oh, oh, like because she's like down her phone. I'm like, the dog controls the shotgun. Like, <laughs> this is awesome. Greatest yeah. moment in cinematic history. Yeah. Yeah. I really yeah. can't imagine watching these after, to be honest. And- it's look, it's a little underwhelming, but. Like, yeah, it's it, if you're listening and you have not seen any of these movies, I, I don't know that there's a reason to watch the first Mad Max. Go ahead if you want. But for sure, at least watch Road Warrior before you see Fury Road, because you're going to just like it much better um, because, because it's like you can see because you can you can see what George Miller wants to do. And he does what he can with the equipment of his time. But like nothing will ever be as epic as Fury Road, like in terms yeah. of like scale of action so or we'll see what the wasteland has in store yeah, yeah. When he gets or furiosa yeah. you know <laughs> whatever Hemsworth. george miller does next yeah <laughs> uh um, oh man so so yeah just uh it's yeah it's it, it was a little jarring but i'm pretty good at at least i think i'm pretty good i don't know whenever we talk about the goats episodes i, I think i'm wrong on this but like i'm pretty i think i'm pretty good at trying to like remember like oh this is made in this time and so we have to like Watching it in 2022 doesn't do justice to with very little money. To be right. honest, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Because yeah. like it's not until Thunderdome where it feels like a studio film. Well, and all right. So correct me if I'm wrong. The first the first movie was for sure an Aussie film, like not made in Hollywood. One hundred percent. Is it the second one that it became like a, like essentially Hollywood? Because I, I, I my understanding, I thought so. The second one was also an Aussie film. Yeah, mm-hmm. but like, I think that was. I think that was the first one that actually really got played in the U.S. Like, I don't think the first one got much play in the U.S. at all, right? Road Warrior is the one had... that got popular in the U.S. Yeah. Right. Really, like, break it out. Yeah. But I mean, like, Mad Max, like, the first Mad Max, like, didn't get, like, any, like, hardly any screens. But but it, people it... had heard about it. But Road Warrior did go to theaters in the well, U.S., that's right? It lived as, like, a cult Road warrior. warrior. Yeah, it's kind of right. Like, it lived as, like, a cult movie just kind of, like, simmering in the underground. And then Road Warrior came out and, like, oh, my God, you know. And yeah, that is why they retitled this Road Warrior. Right. Okay. Yeah, I knew there was that part because at least this was more marketed internationally than the first, mm-hmm. than just calling it Mad Max Two, which is it is subtitled Mad Max Two on yeah. most. Like we can make a sequel out of this. Right. So anyway, I just I just want to clear clarity like this. So this is still an Aussie film, so an Aussie budget and all that. But very much, yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Because yeah, Fury Road is for sure that, a Hollywood film. He got that oh, Tina yeah. Turner money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you could oh, tell there's definitely here's another thing too. There's there's definitely a quality difference between obviously the older movies and the newer ones, but like uh, so I have the high octane collection, but on 4K. And the action scenes in Road Warrior look so good on that transfer. And the regular scenes look fine. Like so it's it you can tell that George Lucas George Miller is Whoa. shooting you can tell that George Lucas Miller is shooting <laughs> is shooting in specific rigs that are meant like to capture action the best and then in certain times that it's not important save money and use like less great stuff like you, you can tell that all of his heart and soul went into those action sequences because like they look pristine and then the rest of the movie is like kind of grainy kind of like looks like it should be like 720p max like uh <laughs> it's 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 fine you know it's an older it's a 1981 movie so like that's fine but it's like cusping 80s so it kind of feel, still feels like a 70s movie kind yeah, of yeah but like the yeah. action sequences like look movie. great not just from a technique because they are from a technique standpoint look they look great and yeah Sh- like shane mentioned like some of the best action sequences of all time in the road warrior so um yeah i think that's very interesting uh because like I don't know if it, either of you have any more to say about World Warrior, but it makes for a very interesting segue into why Thunderdome feels so different. Um, yeah, it's like the real Mad Max movies almost kind of just feel like two and four, right? Yeah, Three and one kind of feel like odd ones out. Because George Miller's uh, business partner, Byron Kennedy, passed away before Thunderdome, and he only directed the action sequences in Thunderdome. George Ogilvie's the actual credited director. Hmm. Hmm. so he george miller directed thunderdome and the train sequence at the end but that makes so much sense (laughs) but the rest of the film is directed by a different director and i feel like that's why it feels like it's so it it's easily dated because it feels so 80s like it really feels like it's from like the 1980s without even looking at tina turner and her (laughs) hair and everything and Auntie Entity is amazing. <laughs> yeah, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. You know, well, let's just... get into our let's get yeah. into our Beyond Thunderdome thing because again, like, man, these aren't movies that we can really talk about in depth. It's more so just should you watch them? And for me, the answer is so far, I would skip the first Mad Max. I would definitely watch the Road Warrior, um, especially if you haven't seen For Your Road, watch War- Road Warrior first. Um, but Road Warrior is for sure with watch. So we'll get to Beyond Thunderdome. Shane, do you like it? Love it? Hate it? Dislike it? Or think it's just okay? I like Thunderdome. And... Right, and admit. Sorry, May? Wow, I didn't think I'd be the only one, but I love Thunderdome. I love it. Absolutely love it. I am so high on this movie. I am, you know, like you you champion a movie, you feel like it's not talked about enough, you feel like it's not like, this is Thunderdome for me. Anyone that's seen Thunderdome, anyone that like knows me, I they know that I, I champion this movie hard. I think it's almost as good, if not as good as The Road Warrior. Uh, I'm going to go right down the middle. I think it's just okay. Um, ah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think all the stuff in the city... And the train sequence at the end. All the barter are town great. Stuff. Yeah. Love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the kid stuff. All the when as soon as Max goes into exile until Max makes his way back to the city are just bad. Oh. <laughs> I just don't oh. care about any of it. The, the all, all the Max being mistaken for this pilot. My heart. Max having to My leave heart. the kids. All that. And the 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 lady that is so brainwashed into thinking that Max is is Colonel captain pilot steve whatever i don't know uh 
<laughs> all the stuff. I I really I found the movie because I because this one is like doesn't have a great reputation. It doesn't have a bad reputation. It just doesn't have a great one. And up until the point that Max is exiled, I was like, hold on, I really like this movie. What's so bad about it? And then the next thirty minutes happen. I'm like, oh, this is really boring. Can we go back to the city? And then they do it like, yay, this is great again. And then there's this epic epic ending sequence with the train fight it's awesome uh, so we know aaron doesn't like peter pan in his mad max movie. well i'm looking at the trivia right now and it, apparently this was originally not supposed to be a mad max but a, but a post-apocalyptic lord of the flies um and then it became a mad max movie when when george miller suggested it was max that finds the kids so huh. maybe max shouldn't have found the kids maybe max shouldn't have found the kids absolutely <laughs> Maybe the film should have just ended with them, you know, putting him on the back of a horse and and, and I, setting him off I into the. I think the, the film feels disjointed in that way, and the whole sequence of kids does feel like a different movie. But yeah, Bardtown, Bardtown's amazing, and yeah, and yeah. like the actual Thunderdome and Master Blaster, and what a twist! Auntie Entity pulling strings over here, and like, in what world does? Tina Turner play the villain of your movie, and that actually works. This one, and it's great. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> Tina Turner's riding high on that Tina Turner energy and charisma because it does work. And yeah. like the idea of Master Blaster is so interesting and tragic mm-hmm. when yeah. you find out what's really going on. And oh my god, that Thunderdome sequence, and you know the whole like the Master of Ceremonies guy. It's like, there's only one rule. There are none. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like that two character. Enter, like, one man leave. Yeah. One man, two men enter, one man leaves. Oh, yes. Thunderdome. Yes. Thunderdome can solve so many issues. Yeah. <laughs> well, and so me and my wife realized like at the, before they were going back to Bartertown, we were just like, oh, here's why this movie sucks is because Thunderdome is only used once. Like, <laughs> We were in in the middle of the fight with uh, um, with Max me, Aaron, with Max versus Bla- Beyond Thunderdome. I know. I, yeah. to- I told her that I was like, <laughs> it's called Blaster. Beyond Thunderdome. Uh, but we were sitting there during the Max versus uh, Blaster scene, and we're just like, yeah, the whole movie could be this, and that'd be great. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine with that. That's okay. It had to be uh, like a Mortal Kombat type tournament. It should. Like, that's like, what the movie should have been. Is just is just Max has to Max has to survive a certain number of enemies in Thunderdome, and then he'll get his stuff back. Some and leave. weird mutated people or something. Yeah, it should have been. Yeah, just like that subplot of Thor Ragnarok where Thor has to go compete. Like it should have just been that. You know, sounds awesome. Also, brief, brief like thing. My only history with Beyond Thunderdome before this was not even in like anything Mad Max. Like I'd known the title from there, but there's um. Do you guys? know the like 2005 ryan reynolds movie waiting oh my god yes yes I (laughs) okay so this was one that i loved in 2005 it was one of those like blockbuster pickups when they were going out of sale whatever and i watched it a couple times and it doesn't hold up but honestly it's kind of fun still like it holds up it's it's crude and i mean comedy like the, the jokes don't a lot of them don't hold up that's 100 percent true <laughs> yeah it's 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 very this movie would not get made today but like it's kind of a fun time well when when dane cook the chef is introduced they're they're introducing the new guy he goes welcome to the thunderdome bitch and that was my <laughs> only context for this movie i'm like i know a quote where somebody says welcome to the thunderdome bitch and that's that's it <laughs> 
and it was it was from waiting when Dane Cook is that they don't say that in this movie. Uh, yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's just welcome to Thunderdome. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yes, I think I think I think Dane Cook delivered it great in that waiting. Yes. If anyway, you've ever I just... in food service. If you ever worked in food service, waiting is a high recommend. You it captures what it's like. Yep. I mean. And then exceeds it, you know. Oh yeah, it's, yeah. it's exaggerated. We don't, we don't actually spit in your food. <laughs> winks around, winks, everybody. Winks. No, uh, winks anyway, can't. it's <laughs> anyway. That you... I just wanted to say that would that just reminded me of of I wanted to mention that. <laughs> <laughs> I think Back if it wasn't, I did appreciate the return of Bruce Spence. Now, oh, yeah. he, now he has a plane. Now, so <laughs> is he? Pl- all right, is he now. playing the same character? Is he? Maybe I don't yes, know. Maybe no. I'm asking. <laughs> uh, That's the thing. I think when he was cast, he was supposed to. Yeah. I mean, he, how they pitch him, it's like it's the it's the guy that you played, but not that guy. They probably told him it's the same guy, but like, there's but like, but like he doesn't. Well, I mean, and it would make sense that he doesn't recognize Max at the beginning, but he should recognize him by the end. And with his haircut and everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like yeah, but in the beginning, even he's like uh, when he when he's. When they when they steal his wagon, which by the way, awesome sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, and what a, you know, he's 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 really completely awesome. covered up. You know, it's it's not even his face isn't exposed at all. Although yeah. then it was one of those things where, which by the way, I love the monkey in this. But it was one of those things where when he shows up to to the town and they're they're like drop all your weapons off and he starts pulling weapons. I'm like, either did the monkey drop all of them out of the cart or was he like forty guns on him while riding his carriage? Because like I get a couple, but like. You wouldn't just have those on you at literally all times. Like it's a dangerous anyway. world, Aaron. <laughs> I know. Dangerous world. <laughs> and this is think a about paranoid this. man. <laughs> That's just a great question to ask in general. Did a, <laughs> just think about you live in a world where you can ask that question, and that's that's all you need to be happy about. Yeah. Just like you yeah. know, was this the monkey, or do you just have that many guns? Who knows, man. I'll... <laughs> <laughs> Either way, I'm happy. Right. It's, what? it's great. <laughs> I'm so happy it exists, man. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I really liked the monkey. I thought it was. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah. But... Oh my goodness, my heart loves this movie. I so also much. like the uh, how the whole methane stuff precursor to happy and like climate change and stuff like that. Yeah. It's like starting it early. Cause honestly <laughs> that probably had a big thing to do with this apocalypse too. Cause you know, this is just dry, disgusting, hot desert. I mean, yeah, I don't know kinda... how accurate that is. It's just being Australian outback, but there you go. <laughs> it kind of feels like that even in the first one. Like you see green grass and stuff, but it still feels dusty and dry. Even when you see yeah. water in the shot, it still feels yeah. awful. Because <laughs> I feel so like, like it's a very, it's an obvious running thread through his films. Because, you know, like this is the man who made Happy Feet. And Happy yeah. Feet too. just put that out there. And also Babe Pig in the City. <laughs> but, like, but not Babe. Just Babe Pig in the City. He produced Babe, but had somebody else direct Babe. Um, this is... Wild it's, career. It sure is. And then 3,000 Years of Longing? I didn't think that I'd be sitting there watching a fantasy romance from George Miller, but I did. Um, but, you know, it's like... This was to the point where it's just like, there's definitely something off about this in terms of like the shifts in direction and stuff like that. And it's horrible that like a real life tragedy actually got in the way of him being able to fully finish off his trilogy. And then it's even more tragic that it took him 30 years to finally finish this. 
And, oh man, when he finally did. Because, like, you can make, I'm sure someday they'll make a documentary similar to how they've made documentaries about the man who killed Don Quixote. Of how absurd the process was to make this movie Fe- mm-hmm. um, of leading up to Fury Road after. Because, like, between, yeah. you know, Mel Gibson finally dropped out in the early 2000s. But, like, George Miller was getting over the loss of his business partner, trying to find the money. Uh, the money had been the thing multiple times. 9-11 torpedoed this because mm-hmm. how it erratically changed the global economy. Um, same thing happened again. He was supposed to do um, Fury Road and his Justice League movie. And then mm-hmm. right, gl- yeah. um, global economy shattered that. And then this was supposed to be shot in Australia. And then monsoon season happened. They had to shoot this for, what, seven months in the middle of Africa? Mm-hmm. Um, in the middle of nowhere. And people did not like each other while filming oh. it. Mm-hmm. Um, Charlize Theron and uh, Tom, Tom Hardy, Hardy. did, did they not, did not like along. each other. No. <laughs> and what in what crazy world, only at Warner Brothers, can you have some like... <laughs> Uh, how old was George Miller at this point? Maybe 70? He was 70-something, se- yeah. <laughs> out in the middle of the desert, filming hundreds of hours of footage, executives fly out and look at all of this, and they're like, you know what? Here's more money. you <laughs> 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 doing this. <laughs> and then they did for seven months. And right. So we've railed all the way into, into Fury Road. I just yeah. want to make sure, do we have anything else to say about Beyond Thunderdome? I have a quick thing um, is that that Thunderdome sequence and Master Blaster, if it wasn't for Fury Road, would be my favorite action sequence and villain of the entire series. That's fair. Yeah, I'd take that. I love the ending of Fury Road. It's one of my favorite chase sequences of all time until Fury Road. Yeah. it. But that bit in Thunderdome still inspires me to this day. I still love it. Okay. I, that would be my that would maybe be my favorite part of the uh, of the Mad Max franchise if Fury Road didn't, didn't exist. But yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I, I have one question. Um. Okay, so there's the whole like legacy of the pilot, right? That mm. Max is mistaken for. Do you think that the prisoner that befriends Max early on is the pilot? Who the pig killer? Yeah, I really thought about that. I, I was just like, I was me, as Abby and I were watching it, we were just like, it's this classic 1985 movie. There's going to be a reveal. He's like, he's like the only other important male character that we know. I feel like yeah. his purpose was more of like the Jean Valjean kind of like. Mm. Like he tried to like kill a pig to take care of his family kind of thing. It's just well, like, to show no. that he he did something bad, even but just you know, almost justified in that way. And then he's set up to help Max at the end, to help give Max get back, Max and the kids get back into the city, and then out again. Like, okay, I'll buy that. That's fine. I just I was just sitting there like they're gonna make him, they're gonna make him the 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 captain general pilot lieutenant. I'm just gonna keep on adding <laughs> titles to that guy's name every time I watch. <laughs> there he is. Anyway, uh, I assume that's. I that's the only that pilot thing. just like he once that plane crash, he just walked out of there and got swallowed by the sand. That's all. <laughs> well, that yeah. was my first thought is just the pilot's dead and probably died very quickly. But then I was like, but we haven't seen a body. So Max had a long lost twin brother. <laughs> oh, oh, the, by the way, the worst offense for this movie is when is when Max throws the hat and then all of a sudden all the wind starts and then it carries them to the plane. It was like. This I hate this sequence. I hate it so much. Like, anyway, like I said, I love the stuff in Barter Town. All the stuff outside of Barter Town, no. So anyway, that's that's okay. That's okay. We forgive all you. Right. That's fine. We'll finally get to Free Road. Uh, safe to say, we're all highly in the loved it camp. 
Well, hold on. Yeah, yeah, of course. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> hold on. <laughs> I just really love it. Yeah, it's very that, different that, modifiers. Yeah. It's only one of the best action films ever made in a landmark in cinematic history. Yep. Come on, guys. So, <laughs> so I saw, like I said, I saw this in theater and I was like, look, this movie's awesome. And yeah. and I had problems with it coming out of the theaters because I was just like, there's so much backstory here that I feel like I don't get. Like, like all the whole like Valhalla stuff and the spraying of the things on the lips. It, was, it just felt like there was a lot of context I was missing. But it's one of those things like I was mentioning earlier where it's like, it doesn't, I'm not missing anything. Like it's right there. It's on the surface level. Now, whether or not the, the, I had always assumed until this watch that the spray painting, the silver was like, gave them adrenaline. Like it was essentially them giving themselves adrenaline to do one last act. But then Abby was like, I don't think it does anything. I think they're just marking themselves for sacrifice. I was like, okay, I'll buy that too. Like, I but it, point, <laughs> point is it doesn't matter, right? Like it, In the end, it doesn't change. It doesn't change anything, you know, like, and, um, yeah, and, and there's lots, there's lots of implied context and there's lots of things that you can pick up. There's, there's, I'm not missing any, we're not missing anything from an earlier Mad Max movie. It's just, it's this culture and what these people have believed in the whole, like witness me and I, I will carry you to Valhalla by witnessing your, your sacrifice. Like there's tons of world building in there. I think my biggest problem was just like, I don't get any of it. Like they don't explain it, but I'm like, no, it's there. It's, it's not intended necessarily for you to, to get it, but it's because you're, you're, you're witnessing a period. You're not, you're not meant to completely understand this culture. You were meant to be like Max kind of thrust into this situation, figuring things out as we go. So when I first saw it in theaters, I was like, yeah, that was great. I loved it. It was literally a two hour long action scene and, <laughs> and it was dope, but it's a movie I've appreciated ev more every time I watched it. Also, me and my wife watched this last night because we were gone all day today. We had we were busy. So last night was my only chance to watch it. And we had just finished watching Beyond Thunderdome. I was like, you know what? I just don't feel like watching another movie right now. I'm movied out. And she's like, well, I want to watch Fury Road. I was like, you put on Fury Road and I'll do something. But odds are this movie will get five minutes in and I'll be hooked. And I will have completely changed my attitude. And guess what happened? That exact thing. Because this movie is just one you could put on. And just get sucked in. And then you just can't take your eyes off the screen. It doesn't matter how tired you are. You're awake now. Anyway. It's so incredible. Yeah. it's That's the magic of this movie. Speaking on the detail you were talking about earlier. I, I've always thought the same thing. Is like it, they're marking themselves for death. But like I think it's even more specific. Because they're talking about like. The whole thing is that they're so shiny and chrome. You know. And so like. That chrome mm. is literally meant to mark themselves as like immortal. Like they view their machines to be. You see them pray to machines at some points. Yeah. And yeah. so like. I'm pretty sure that they are like literally trying to like that makes become sense. that essential. That's how I've have, always have. Either of you seen the black and chrome edition, the black and white version of this film? Unfortunately, no. I I, I, I thought about watching it like for this podcast because I've seen Fury Road a couple times, so I was like, you know what, whatever. But I didn't. But I I I'm really interested to watch it. I I you just gotta think with how gorgeous the colors are. How is that a better experience? Like. <laughs> That's the so. thing. I'm like, I'm going to watch the black and chrome version of this. And then I'm like, pretty colors. <laughs> and then I just watch the regular version. Because, like, <laughs> right, it, this is, like, posed happy feet George Miller. George Miller's like, colors of the world. <laughs> it just throws it into this movie. And it's so mm -hmm. vibrant. And John Seals, um cinematography. Like, there's a reason this won all the technical Oscars. <laughs> because yeah. from... 
should, have, should have won hell, more of them. How the hell did they trim down hundreds of hours of footage into two hours at all click editing to the max here? And yeah. the costume design. I showed up to see this in theaters with my leather jacket and everything. I was so ready to go. And like my insides were shaking at points where I'm just like, my God, this is so intense and I love it. And this is, I have in my office at work, cause like, you know, I get the liberty to like put up a whole bunch of stuff that I want to put up in my office working at a college. And it's just like, you know, put up stuff that like, I have tons of movie posters in my office and I try to put up ones that I feel like mean something to potentially to a college experience. Like I even got a poster from Lord of the Rings that says, and all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given. Because, like, that's college. You're on a short, short period of time. But I just have the picture of Max from the beginning of the film where he's just staring out into the wasteland. Yep. And because here's the thing. And one of my biggest pet peeves is when people are like, oh, there's no plot to this movie. They just turned around and went back. But the thing is, what's so significant about that moment is, sure, you have two choices. And this is a very relatable thing where it's just like you can go out into that nothingness and limp your way to something. It might be there, might not be there. And you're just surviving. And that's what Max has been doing his whole entire time is just surviving, but not living, not thriving. Or you could turn and go headlong into adversity, into a challenge, and know that there's a place that you flourish. And that's Mm. why I love so much about that moment where he first lets Furiosa and the rest of them go, and then he drives his motorcycle up and stops them. And just like, yeah, they're going to go back. And obviously, the rest is one of the greatest action sequences in the history of cinema. But on that level, it's such an important moment in terms of, are you going to thrive or survive? Um, that's the what it really comes down to here. And I think Max finally realizes on some level you have to thrive. Because like, what's the purpose of just dragging on and dragging on and not doing it for anything except just to be there? And also from the opening moments, this film with so little exposition really captures the horrible dangers of like that cult of personality, that dictator, that leader that is so influential that he convinced people that drinking water is bad for them and is so relevant to certain leaders today. And I'm just like, well, well, this feels relevant and poignant still in 2022. And it will forever because there's always going to be. And that's why this, I feel like this movie even rises above the other Mad Max films too is because George Miller is able to pack so much in here without beating you over the head with it. And it's just, Aaron, like you said, it's just there. It's there for you to take it or not. And because you can, you could go into this movie and just be like, oh my God, this is two hours of action. This is amazing. And, or you could dig a little deeper. You could also do your research and find out why the doof warrior, the guy with the flaming guitar, wears his mother's face. What? Because <laughs> that's an actual detail. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yes, apparently. I, I will have to do that. <laughs> by a Morton Joe cupping his mother's head, and then he wears his mother's face. That's the mask he's wearing. So get that out of your head. There's also, like, you mentioned that moment. There's also a lot of good stuff there, just about, in general, like, I think everybody kind of realizes, like, what what was the purpose of all of this? 
if a Morton Joe still gets another generation of women to be enslaved to him, mm-hmm. that he could put violent chastity belts on. Like, like there's kind of that moment of like, for all this to be worth it, we kind of have to like finish the mission. We, ha- we it's not just getting away, but it's 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 over overturning overturning it and like so there's like there's that aspect to it as well but there's also like the it just makes so much sense especially max's speech of you could drive 160 miles or you could drive 160 days that way and you know it's gonna be out there nothing but you could turn around and have one of the best times of your life and 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 be rewarded like um so lots like lots of good stuff there um plenty of good stuff but man the moment where Furiosa meets the ladies and the and all the revelations about yeah everybody you knew is dead we were this thriving colony and we're like four people now your mom died like mom died immediately like all that and like they're like well what about the green place like you passed it like that's that that moment was awesome like you passed it the place that's all mushy and swampy and looked like the pits of hell like yeah that that was the place you were going to they're like whoa like <laughs> <sighs> getting chills I'm getting chills right now scream into the sky and just like goosebumps thinking about that scene because yeah because charlie's throne is so amazing in this film and tom hardy was such an inspired choice to be max because like who but anybody who you need to just act with all of this and none of this than tom hardy tom hardy that's all he does so, seemingly <laughs> seriously i have runs. <laughs> i have a note on that i think um i think it's inspired casting but i think part of the reason why this movie works so well is that this this is really this is more furiosa's movie than it is max's max is just along for the ride like yeah. which so usually, and that's the point right? i mean that's that's a lot of the times how it is but like in actuality like the 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 plot for for two and for at least road warrior was max comes in and max is your fighter now like he's got to do all the heavy lifting for your community and for Beyond Thunderdome, it's Max is going to be the person that they're going to have to get to again start this like revolution or whatever. like. But it's like Max is just kind of along for the ride, helping Furiosa achieve her goal. Um, yeah. Like be- after realizing it, and like this is man, what a what a great way to just make a feminist piece like in this right. action movie. Like precisely, that's actually the reason that I like this movie so much. You mentioned Shane the thematic stuff that made you love it. To mm-hmm. me, I've literally always thought about this movie as like. Yeah, a feminist piece it's always to me rang is like what role do men serve in women's liberation from abuse and i've always found like because you know mad max in the way that you precisely said it he's been surviving this whole time he's reeling off of loss off of his own dislike instinct to survive that moment that you mentioned where he goes and he stops them it's it's great the way you explain it but i've also thought of it in like a it's he'd realize in that moment it's not about him. He can mm. contribute to something bigger than himself here. And so that's when he goes and makes a selfless decision to actually point these women in the right direction. And the the last shot of the movie isn't of him. It's about him disappearing into the crowd and them mm. as they rise up into a brighter place. And I think that's such a beautiful political thing to say that this movie has running through it. And that's always meant a lot to me, especially as as when i was like coming out as a trans woman that that meant a lot to me mm. this that that helps shine something I, I was gonna say if i have one negative at the end it's just i don't understand why max doesn't stay i mean i get like it's his characters to be kind of a wanderer but it's like don't you think he just found something good but it's story-wise i still don't think it makes sense but thematically absolutely 
So okay, I, I just think he I just think he assumes that it isn't his. It's not his reward to reap. You know, that's fair. Uh, that's also a good point. I just I don't. You just feel like why why is why is Max the road warrior? Like is he is it still part cop in him where he's like, well things are good here now, so there's got to be another fight to fight, or is it like is it just he he's afraid of getting too attached to something? Like like there's there could be a million reasons why. I just don't understand why he doesn't choose to go i mean i like the idea of this isn't his reward to claim um necessarily but like and yeah i also think the idea of the film is that right it but at the beginning of this movie he says i was a cop a road warrior looking at the beginning of this movie he does think of himself as just a wanderer that's all he's doing but i think at the end of this movie if he was to do that narration he probably would say i am a cop i am a road warrior i think probably he's found yeah. like purpose like he can he can help now i imagine the wasteland might be searching the wasteland for someone to actually help we might see a genuinely changed max next time around if they stick with continuity knowing george miller he will not <laughs> and if Warner i mean i think there's i mean maybe maybe. maybe a little character continuity but maybe yeah but yeah it's just it's it's like yeah but that's what's so cool about it anyone can get i don't want to say anything but like you can really latch yourself onto this movie you know like mad max fear road means something so specifically meaningful to you shane and it means something so mm. specifically meaningful to me and i'm assuming it's the same with you aaron and it's just like I think it's so cool about it. Art can be as abstract as you want it. And this is one way that like it is exemplified to the highest level, but also being one of the most intense, entertaining action movies of not only the century of all time. It's incredible. It's awesome. This is what film should be. I just, my, my, I mean, my personal thing is I just think it's maybe the best edited movie ever made. Definitely best edited action movie ever made. Um, but yeah, uh, no, but, but even going on that point earlier about like how, what an interesting, what an interesting movie to make a feminist piece. Like, the, all, the women are so useful in this movie too it's not just max helps them but like the oh, first yeah. scene like where max approaches them like drinking water they're like they're trying right mm-hmm. like they're, they're they're women that are designed wholly unequipped for this except for zoe kravitz who has yeah. some weird mysterious background <laughs> like you know like they're they're designed for this like to not not that but they're they're jumping into the fight almost immediately and uh yeah like they're they are not useless in the movie and even the pregnant ones reloading the gun and doing stuff yeah saves the entire car until she gets murked at that one point in the movie so Uh, that whole sequence and we haven't even talked about because like i've never been the hugest fan of the music from like the of mad max and like where a lot of the times it sounds kind of cheesy but my oh, god yeah. the score that junkie xl, junkie XL, XL yes. puts off in this yes. movie. i can listen to brothers in arms over and over and over again i want junkie xl to collab with tom morello for the next uh next score i think that'd be like i think that would be just insanely cool that would be insane And just like how they actually embed the music into the film because they actually have a band. Yeah. Just well, and to to build a fully functioning flamethrower guitar, like yeah. Oh how my they think god! Of this? The when the trailers drop for this, just when it's like my name is Max, all this fire, blood, and just going from there and like the kicking up of like the engines and stuff like that, and I'm just like, what is this? And that was for me personally, because I remember this game delayed and delayed and delayed yep. and delayed. And the moment they actually dropped a trailer for this, and I'm like, this is the movie. This I've is why. For my whole entire life. 
it was your force awakens yeah and it's and it's something else too because like I, I remember reading some of the trivia while we were watching it last night on IMDb, and it's like george george miller's wife edited this movie and she's like why would you pick me i've, I've never done anything like this before he's like that's why because if if i get a guy to direct this it will look like every other movie that's ever come out and like it's just so brilliant and it's shot so well that like you never lose sight of where you are no. of of what is going on around you of 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 what cars are where it's it's a lot like like when you're driving down the road and every 30 seconds or so you glance at your rearview mirror so you kind of always know where cars are around you like but like in film form like you always know where the rig is and you always know where surrounding cars are like it's it's a really interesting like it's just edited so well together and then also uh she had, I think I saw some, I, I got to find this exact, but I think it was like 704 hours of footage for her to edit. Like, Jeez. ridiculous. Insane. Oh my God. Oh. But like, that makes sense why the movie is so damn like proficient and incredible and all the positive adjectives. Well, and what's so fascinating about this whole entire experience is like, this movie shouldn't exist. And Right. Let alone like, be good. Yeah. And... <laughs> It's somehow like if you think about the 21st century in terms of action, there's a great video. I think it's from Cinefix, uh, who is now owned by IGN. They talk about how Driller shoots action, and so many directors need to I've learn. I've seen this. That. I've seen that video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Need to it's learn how incredible to video. Yeah. Because put it on my watch list. I am an action movie snob. I will admit oh, yeah. that, like, very snobbish when it comes to action. And I'm very critical of how people shoot action. And outside of Mission Impossible and John Wick, like, and Fury Road, these are like the pinnacle the of modern What's action movies. The Raid. I'd like to, The Raid. And The Raid. Mm-hmm. The Raid. Yep. <laughs> I'd like to, I cannot have that not mentioned. It is. <laughs> I found, I found the trivia, by the way, 470 hours of footage to edit. <laughs> Into it's a- two. What's even more impressive is that they managed to shoot 470 hours of footage in seven months. If you've ever and, tried to make a movie, that's insane. And ready for this? With very, 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 very little CGI. Right. Yeah, of course. Like, like essentially, from from what I understand, Furiosa's arm and like aesthetics for the environment are essentially the only CG in this movie. I'm well, sure there's going to be some shots well, there, that like... Yeah, there's, the very okay. first car crash you see, not Max's thing, but like during the main plot of the movie when they get hit in the trap, the car flips mm. into it. That's almost fully CG. Um, yeah, and a lot of the like overhead shots, like that one where you see all the flares go up, that's almost entirely CG as it like goes over. Um, I can't, I can't tell the difference though. But like that's, but that's the thing, <laughs> right? Um, it's, it's a great CG and incredible practical effects. And they use CGI for safety too, because when that oh, yeah. blows sure. up in the middle of the film it's by itself you would never know that by watching the movie it's just um, expert compositing yeah except the worst shot in the whole entire dang movie is that stupid shot at the end of the movie that they put in for the 3d version of like this wheel flying up into the camera just like this is why i hate this. that shot would not have been in this movie if you didn't want to release this I, in 3d I, I like that. I think it's cool. I, the whole time watching this movie, I was like, I wish I could watch this in 3D right now. I mean, I, just because there's so many moments like that. I hate it. It's not distracting watching it in 2D, but 
I yeah. hate so much, but that's a whole entire other conversation. I yeah. I don't like it either, but like it's like I wish I could go watch this movie in three D right now. <laughs> like one of my worst theater to. experiences of all worst? time was because of three D. You so what May? Oh, sorry. Yeah, one of my worst ever theater experiences of all time was in three D. I had to uh, see Black Panther in three D because I was the only one that was there, and the only seat that was available was the very very front row. And so I had three D glasses in the front row of a Marvel movie. Let me, you know, that climax with all the CG, them like falling mm-hmm. down. The thing. That was headache inducing. <laughs> I believe it. It was headache inducing and watching it in two D because the CG is so bad in that movie. Uh, it did look a little better in Spider Man. Right. <laughs> i wanted to ruffle some feathers with that one (laughs) it looks about the same to me honestly i'm not saying that's that's a bad thing because those movies are 15 years apart they all look like plastic to me i don't know (laughs) 10 years apart 10 years around yeah Yeah, roughly 28 february 2018 was black panther yep yeah and spider-man 3 was seven look at us nerds look at us nerds it doesn't matter (laughs) closer to 10 years than 15 years anyway um all right well we should probably move on to the b plot at this point um, you want to talk about Fury Road anymore? I could talk about it for two more hours if you like. I feel like we'll we'll talk about it again <laughs> in the B plot. Um, oh right, yeah. <laughs> All right. So best ever post apocalyptic movies. I made a note in here and I said I, rules can be difficult for what what this qualifies. So use your best judgment. So we're each gonna have different um, things, but like at least one thing. Like you're not gonna get any Terminator at least for me on this list because like Terminator Two is not a post apocalyptic movie. It's a pre apocalyptic movie and there are bits of one that are, but ultimately not enough. I would say that that call it that. But I, I think I think any of them after three you could, or at least not any of them after three because I wouldn't say Dark Fate, but yeah, but yeah. for sure Salvation and uh, Genesis. Sorry, sorry, Genesis was the one I'm, you couldn't count. But Gen- right. but I would say Dark Fate and uh, actually not even Dark Fate. It's not post about Salvation might, <laughs> might be the only one I might count from that franchise. Yeah, so examples from that. So, like, I think there has to be some sort of um, use your best judgment. I, I, I trust you guys and I trust the listeners to kind of figure that out. So, like, there are just some things that... And also, like, we're going with post-apocalyptic, not dystopian. So, the example I used earlier was, like, Hunger Games. Hunger Games is dystopian, not post-apocalyptic. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Best ever post-apocalyptic movies. We're doing BEC style. So, t- so number five to number one, uh, we'll go in order. Trump rules in effect. So, if you have it higher, call it out, and then we will talk about it when whoever has it listed highest. We'll have a couple honorable mentions at the end. Uh, May I think I'd like you to start. Oh, thank you. Um, just quick, uh, one per franchise, right? Just one per, one per franchise. franchise, correct. Yeah, okay. So that's what I yep. did before. Just making sure. Okay. Number five, I have a quiet place. Anyone got that anywhere? Honorable mention for me. Okay, cool. Well, um, I, I, I love this movie. I think in terms of using different aspects of filmmaking other than the very obvious ones, which is just like, you know, visual and just like dialogue and stuff like that. It uses sound as a storytelling technique. I think that's really cool. I don't think it's the most perfect movie ever made, but I, I, I still love the family dynamic a lot, which is what keeps me going back to that movie after I really feel like I get the, the horror thriller aspects out of it. That family dynamic really moves me every time I watch it. So that's why I go back every time. True. Um, yeah. I honorable mention for me. I think it's a great movie with a really bad sequel, but um, oh. yeah. Shane, uh, what's your number five? My number five is The Road. I just bought this because this has been so hard to find recently, but I just bought it. So I haven't seen it yet. Honorable mention. So I've read the book and Cormac McCarthy is one of the most beautiful writers of the most disturbing things I've ever read. And this movie (laughs) is quite a disturbing experience, but like 
it is such a disturbing, stark representation of like the fall of humanity. And the acting in like this cast is so pitch perfect. Viggo Mortensen, so Cody Smith McPhee, having like sprinkling in of like the old man, Robert Duvall, and the stranger at the end of the film, and Guy Pierce. This is this is just a way too close to home kind of pokes apocalyptic world because like it feels like this could be so very obviously what happens to us in the future and i don't like it yeah and charlie's the ron speaking of fury road yeah i'm excited to watch this one because i i know what i'm gonna i know what i'm getting into i I don't know specifics of what i I know i'm getting into one of the most just haunting experiences you could ever (laughs) put yourself yeah yeah emotionally haunting rather than like really so um, yeah there's a few yeah. moments oh yeah but like generally <laughs> yeah. it's it's uh, yeah. my number five um feel free to veto this i could always swap it out with a different number five because this one I, I think rides the line of dystopia versus post-apocalyptic i think i want to count it though so veto me if you feel that it shouldn't count uh a children of men I'm gonna that's yeah. my list. Oh, you're gonna Trump? Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I d- the apocalypse is ongoing. It's not post-apocalyptic. Well, people haven't had a child in like it's, how many it years? Seems so to, like, so like, right, it seems to be like the early days of what I would consider post. If it was con- if it if the movie took place 40 years later, that would be a post-apocalyptic movie, you know. Because like most everyone would be dead. I feel like if you ask most, but it's people, it's one of those apocalyptic film. This is one of those things okay. that if I that we were talking earlier about specifically like zombie movies and how like the ones that take place like during the outbreak. I feel like this would be right. under that same right. Uh, it's just a little less sudden. And so I, this is that's why I was like right. I don't know whether to call this dystopian or post apocalyptic. So if this was going on when everybody was miscarriaging and all those things. That's one thing, but like this has been. But, this it's been a while been since it started. What the the youngest person before the the pregnant lady was that that died. The youngest person that died was, was like what like eighteen or so, right? Something like that. Like, yeah, like a, a teenager. So like, yeah. Well, they they had been. It had been a while. Like, yeah. and you get the sense that if there is not this this uh, this pregnant lady, they are in the very beginning stages of post apocalypse because people are just going to die and nobody's going to replace them. Like, it's definitely not so news anymore that like this is it, a thing. It's kind yeah. it's kind of on that border, but Shane has it higher anyway. So okay. we'll wait. Yeah, either way, it's a good movie. Let's talk about it when we get there. <laughs> yeah, uh, that brings us to your number four, May. Oh, uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane. I have. Honorable mention for me. With okay. Children of Men is number five. Like, it's a pretty stacked list. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, unfortunately, I just realized all of mine are in the same decade. It's a shame. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is um, the most subtle way to do one because a lot of it is a mystery if it is a post-apocalyptic movie or not. Yeah. And I think that is so fascinating. And I think Dan Trachtenberg really understands genre and how what an, what an audience expects going into a certain genre movie and really knows how to play with it. And as someone who is as steeped into it as probably Dan Trachtenberg is, I just found that viscerally satisfying. All all the fun and games of this movie are some of the best fun and games I've seen in a bottle movie ever. It's And I just, I love with, it, man. John Goodman's two incredible. incredible lead performances. Yeah. And John Goodman. Uh, oh, and Jr. also, was great. fun fact for people, screenwriter, anybody? Screenwriter for 10 Cloverfield Lane, Damien Chazelle. Oh, right. Oh, crap. You're right. What a weird, what a weird fun fact. You're right. Anyway, yeah, I totally forgot about that. One of the writers of 10 Cloverfield Lane, Damien Chazelle. And, um, another fun fact about that movie, the 
boyfriend who's on the phone with her at the beginning is Chris Pine. No, it's Bradley I didn't Cooper. Know. I do. It's Bradley Cooper? Yeah. Oh, right. Cool. Oh, because he's I knew it was somebody famous. I'm sorry? Because he's friends with J.J. Abrams. That makes that sense, makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Chris Pine ought to be, too. He's directing Chris Pine two movies. Too. Well, because <laughs> the thing is, Bradley Cooper and J.J. Abrams has known each other since they were young. Like, they did Alias oh. together, and so, like... Oh, yeah. Bradley Cooper's on Alias? He was indeed. I haven't seen a single second of that show, and I regret it heavily. Neither have I. But all I'm going to say is nothing's more terrifying than the uh, more terrifying than the apocalypse than John. Go- <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that I, performance is amazing. He's great, and that final shot where it pulls out and the lightning strikes, and you see the ship. Oh, oh my goodness! It gives me chills one thinking the, about it. I love it. One of the best realizations ever in a movie. It's like. Oh, wait a minute. He wasn't wrong. <laughs> it's just like that kind of moment. He's like, oh, okay. This movie yeah. went there. It's fantastic. Anyway. Yeah, Bradley Cooper provided the voice of Michelle's boyfriend. Uh, also should be noted, Damien Chazelle didn't alone write this movie. Part of a writing team of three. But either way, screenwriting credit on a movie that you would just not expect from him. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, maybe First Man makes a little more sense now. Uh, anyway. Grand Piano is good. If none of you have seen that, he also wrote that. Uh, Shane, that leads us to your number four. My number four is 12 Monkeys. That Oh, I didn't I see forgot, it. I forgot about that. That would that would have been an honorable mention for me. Yeah, same. Yeah. I am a humongous Terry Gilliam fan, and this is such an interesting melding of a time travel movie and a post-apocalyptic film. The dis- like that just post-apocalyptic world that they live in is so grotesque and disgusting, and you know. This is one of those great Bruce Willis performances. When Bruce Willis actually was trying, he was great. He's a great actor, man. And one of the greatest weird Brad Pitt performances. He's so good, yeah. Just never stops moving. Brad Pitt is never better than being weird. He is weird. Second Once Upon a Time in Hollywood reference of the day. (laughs) He was great in Bullet uh, Bullet Train as well as like a... Just assassin. (laughs) (laughs) But but just this film, and I love when a film can completely embed another film into it thematically and narratively in such an interesting way. And the parallels that this has with Vertigo is so interesting. And Mm -hmm. like Terry Gilliam, just all of his movies are firing on 50 different layers, and you can't even tell because they're just so weird and complex and strange. And I love them. I just picked up the recent 4K era release of this. I'm really excited to check it out again. Nice. I've always thought of him as a slightly more accessible Hodorowski. Oh, only slightly. Okay. More. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he's I mean, right. He, he's not going that far. <laughs> this is a holy mountain. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And I think 12 Monkeys is a movie that at least a lot of just common people would still find too confusing. For this, to, yeah. this is definitely a complicated time travel film. Oh, yeah. Because it's really messing with your sense of reality. And that's what Terry Gilliam does, is mess with your sense of reality. But mm-hmm. this was the era of his career where he was the most commercial between this and Fisher King. And then Fear and Loathing. And then after that, he's just like, throw that out the window. <laughs> I went crazy weird. after that, right? Yeah. Uh, that leads me to my, to my number four. Uh, this is going to get Trump. This is where I have Fury Road. Trump. Trump. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> I know. It's okay. Uh, which honestly, like, again, <laughs> like this list is so stacked. <laughs> uh, that leads us to maze number three. 
this is where I have Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Okay. I'm not trumping oh. this one, but I have a similar one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm feeling I'm feeling war coming on here, or just the original. So okay. go ahead. Okay. Um, this is my personal favorite Planet of the Apes movie. Um, it is. I think War for the Planet of the Apes, the reason it's not on here is because I was in a very specific mood when I wrote this. And um, yeah, Fair. it's it's just, man, Andy Serkis alone gives one of the, gives, I'd say in this movie, the best um, motion capture performance I've ever seen, personally. He, he's given himself many other competitions to that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, man, I just, I can't, I cannot handle how emotionally epic this movie is because it's not actually that epic in scale when you think about it, the actual story. But this movie emotionally captures so much through each of its characters. My favorite kind of intellectual filmmaking is emotional intellectualism. And this movie is one of my favorites in like the sci-fi genre. And I think that's fantastic. It's one of the reasons I I have probably seen this movie 10 times now. It's amazing. Incredible. This movie is excellent. Still gave us on top of that and how intellectual it is. An ape riding a horse, dual wielding machine gun, jumping through flames. <laughs> and <laughs> another incredible Gary Oldman villain performance, and that really incredible uh, 360 rotating shot from the inside of the tank. Oh, oh my, my goodness. God. And yeah. Oh my God. Not only Andy Serkis, but Toby Kebbell. Yeah. Oh my God. And Judy Greer. Judy Greer is given a great mocap performance as well. Yeah. Koba is, is one of my favorite villains of the 2010s. Like he is incredible. There's a reason to like see visions of him in war. Like he yep. is haunting. Yeah. Just let him go. No. Damn. All right, Shane, you're number three. Um, that was children. So okay. we could talk about there. So it wasn't sure. huge jump, but like beautiful. Film. One of the best openings of all time. Opening sequences. Absolutely. Oh my god. One of the best endings of all time. And one of the best oneers of all time. Yeah, several, several of them. Like, <laughs> I'm thinking specifically the one in the car uh, yes. at the at the dad's. Yeah, like that's that's the one spe- but yeah, oh. several really great oneers, but I love the car. The For me, I was thinking the war zone here. at the end. Yeah, yeah I don't but I, there's something about small scale, like small environment, like it seems so much harder because big scale, like little things could go wrong and the, it's fine. But like the, small scale, it's like the littlest things matter. How they made that car scene work was incredible because like how do you fit a camera in there with all the different actors in there and um like the little touches in the later shot of like blood actually splattering on the lens was just like well we're in it um (laughs) clive owen gives pete clive owen and you have julianne moore and michael kane doing an ode to his friend john lennon was so interesting in this role and you even have, like, just tie the smaller performances for what Chuelio Adju for is an amazing yeah, she, actor. She would tell Charlie you Charlie Hunnam is right. Yeah, That's right. Just what to do. in this movie. And oh, I can't remember his name, but he was in, he was the owner in Westworld. And he's been in, like, Braveheart and stuff like that. He's the guy that is supposed to help them, but, like, tries to double cross them at one point. Um, I know who you're talking about, yeah. He talks in the third person. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, now. Uh, oh, um, yeah, I can't pronounce his name. Um, Falda Sharma. Uh, right. He goes as Paul. No, wait a minute. I'm looking. No, oh, he looks like like him. Danny Houston was in this in a small role with also that those Pink Floyd references and that cover of Court of the Crimson King is haunting. That they oh, used. it's so good. Love it. Um, oh, Peter Mullum. He's Sid. Um at one point in the film and there's just 
the cast is incredible, the world, and Alfonso Cuaron is such an impressive director, and he really created something special. Definitely want to mention Claire Hope Ashity as well, who plays Key, the pregnant, who is incredible and love her. Fantastic. Oh, he's not. Oh, the owner of Westworld. Got it. Yeah. I was thinking, yeah, got it. No, the guy, not Anthony Hopkins. No, I was, <laughs> I wasn't thinking Anthony, Anthony Hopkins. Hopkins was in this too. <laughs> I was initially thinking Ed Harris because he pre- is the owner him. in right <laughs> pre him. Spoilers, but like, yeah, um, because only seen yeah. season the one. first two seasons of Westworld. You only need to see season one to understand that. Yeah, I... here's the thing: you can spoil all you want in Westworld, you're still not going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> until you see it five times and then it'll all make sense i saw it when it premiered i'm having such a hard time remembering it <laughs> uh, you watch it again because it's the best season of te- television ever uh, so. but anyway that's breaking bad season five is something to say to you <laughs> watchman is something to say to you i love that show better call saul has something to say to all of y'all <laughs> <laughs> let's just talk about tv shows now no <laughs> that's a, that's a different series of episodes i've been on those ones before <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i don't have anything to add um Quaron is directing the hell out of this movie this movie this movie's incredible what was your yeah. number three aaron oh, this is what i'm getting to um my number three is war for the planet of the apes um <laughs> i'm not even it, it, it's my number two let's just talk about it now that's fine yeah. no we'll wait we'll wait it's okay Okay. We'll wait. We'll play the rules. I was wondering if you were going to have like the original, because I know you, like, well, you're more of a fan of the originals than I am. I mean, uh, you can't I mean, deny my... what Matt Reeves did with this franchise. Like, <laughs> I, I love Carlton Heston and all, but like that original no. Planet of the Apes has nothing on Dawn and Planet of the Apes. Rise is underrated. I really love Rise, too. Let's not... Let's not Look, change rise. We'll, we'll get there in a second. I this the Caesar Planet of the Apes trilogy is my favorite trilogy of all time, um, and I I think personally the films get better each time. We'll we'll talk more about War, but I just think Rise was such an experience when I saw it, and then Dawn was better, and then War is just my favorite. Anyway, we'll get there when it's changed the news. So I guess that means I mean I've I've been tripped on all three of mine. <laughs> all right, May. Well, You're number two. Well, mine's about to be trumped too because I my number two is Fury Road. Well, there you go. Trump again. <laughs> so, so let's War talk for the Planet of the Apes. War let's go. Apes. I just I think this movie is so incredible. I I love the I love Dawn. I think it's an incredible movie too. But the the added elements of of the sickness and the way that it permeates and the 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 moment where where Woody Harrelson has the doll and you can see he has the disease now too just gets me every time and it's such a perfect climax for such a resolution really for such a brutally awful character like the monologue he gives to caesar early in the movie also by the way no disrespect to dawn of the planet of the apes i think the best motion capture work is done here in war there's so much facial stuff going on with caesar oh yeah um, you're not gonna like, hear any pushback and, from me on that one <laughs> and also the cg is just better because it's a couple years later so like it and, can be a little more detailed and the Academy so, like, still screwing this franchise over and never giving it an Oscar for better I know. visual effects. Which was ridiculous. Because, like, um, yeah, was this is my... 2017? Was it Jungle Book? No, that was 2016 know. that came out. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'll keep talking while somebody looks at it. It's just... Fact check. The, the, added, the added element of the sickness that we can see, because we already know that most of humankind was wiped out by one sickness, but now here's, here's a new one coming, and... It causes people unable to speak, and the reveal of when Woody Harrelson has it that way is is just poetic in so many different ways, and uh, and it's 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 a gorgeous scene, and it's it 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 it's 
prison escapee in a way, like very much Great Escape. Um, now that I've seen Great Escape, I, I understand the yeah. references. But there's there's some really great moments. I mean, you mentioned the Koba flashbacks. Um, I, I personally love, I think the best, the reason why this movie stands apart from, from above the rest for me is the addition of Bad Ape. I think Steve Zahn as Bad Ape is... Man, I mean, he's, he's great. the moment yeah. the moment where he has to explain, my name is Bad Ape because I was in a place and that's all people ever told me, Bad Ape. Like, it's just like, like, and he's this kind, sweet, lovable, instant, instant perfect. Um, never, just wonderful. Never would I ever get, uh, like, what I've ever expected being blown away by Steve Zombins. To right, point. <laughs> and, like, and to top it all off, brilliantly directed by Matt Reeves and brilliantly scored by Michael Giacchino. I still have that end credits theme on my phone. Like I still listen to that War for the Planet of the Apes end credits. Yeah. It is incredible. What won in twenty seventeen Oscars for best visual effects was Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Yeah. Oh, fair. And what twenty fourteen was uh, for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes was in Stel- Interstellar. Bad fair. Luck. <laughs> <laughs> really bad luck. <laughs> no, um. I have no like. I think Dawn is the widely considered better movie, um, and and favorite of the trilogy. I I just personally, I think that people, I think that War is just overlooked because people were like, it can't top top Dawn, and it does. <laughs> well, I mean, I even someone who loves Dawn more than War, I think that's unfortunate. Like, I think War, like, for I think I don't disagree with anything you said, honestly. Like, it's it's beautiful it's some of like the best filmmaking i've ever seen in the modern blockbuster era it's incredible it's it stands they're out. all three 10 out of 10s like yeah you, you're splitting hairs at some point 100 percent. yeah Worf was in my top five in 2017 along with blade runner 2049 which was my number one so well that was- war is one of those that like i look back and i'm like really is it my favorite of these three because i i hold these three in high regard like surely dawn's the better one and then i watched where i was like no no war <laughs> Is incredible. Uh, when it's Woody a- Harrelson sneaks into his home, that oh, tragic. Man. The green just- lasers coming down the waterfall, and oh, well, and you're like, surely they didn't just do that, did they? And then they, yes, did, they, they did. very much did. Oh yeah. my god! It's like oh. Woody. Really <laughs> 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 screaming. <laughs> Love to hear Andy go, that's my that in a Caesar voice. <laughs> do you have anything to add, Shane? Because I essentially just talked about your number your pick <laughs> oh and just the end also yeah shout out to maurice Tears. the unsung mm-hmm. hero of these movies oh my god Ugh. almost everyone i've shown these movies maurice is their favorite character out of everybody throughout the whole thing maurice is consistently great because caesar again in in war caesar is so exhausted especially after where woody invades his home yeah he's he's just so tired he's so bitter he's so angry like it's a very different, like, Caesar in Rise is the most adorable thing ever. And then in Dawn, you're like, okay, respectable leader. And the third one, you're like, man, he's been he's driven, seen some stuff. He's been driven to the edge, yeah. Yeah. Such a great movie. I want to watch those right now. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> uh, my number two, then? Yeah. Yeah, Wally. Honorable mention. Yeah. Um, I didn't even think about that. Be so right. <laughs> I wouldn't have th- I wouldn't have thought about it, but it came across when I start- when I googled post apocalyptic movies. I was like, yeah, it totally is. The Earth ended entirely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're all gonna be a bunch of giant babies in space. <laughs> Wally, look, Wally just doesn't get enough love. I mean, I, 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 which is so hard to say because like it is so beloved, but it's like in the Pixar canon, it's you know, there's t- you know, tippy top tier is 
a, a lot of people consider Finding Nemo, Toy Story one and three, like, and then in Incredibles, and then like everything else is look, it doesn't. And I'm like, Wall-E is just as good, if not better, than some of those movies. Like, Don't I will take the... Wall-E over Finding Nemo or over The Incredibles. I think Ask Me on Any Given Day and Wall-E might be my second favorite Pixar movie. Inside Out will always be my top, but Wall-E is either two, three, or four on any given day. Um, Don't it's forget remarkable. the first few minutes of Up now. Come on now. Yeah, but then the rest of the movie is fine. Um, <laughs> weird. <laughs> so, anyway, just... It's weird to say that Wally doesn't get enough love because it is beloved, but it's like, no, it's, it's, it is absolutely S-tier Pixar. It is among the best. It is one of the best animated films of all time. It is one of the cutest films I've ever seen, and it warms my little heart. The, the actual don't forget about, I'm going to say, is that at least amongst my generation, I hear Ratatouille a lot. I hear and Ratatouille it's, a lot it's, it's as my, well. It's my personal number one. Ratatouille mm-hmm. is, like, incredible. I've Ratatouille. only seen it once, and I remember being pretty unimpressed, but I think by the time I had gotten around to seeing it, it was like, no, this is as good as Wally. I'm like, it's not. <laughs> Every time I watch it, I love it more. And I feel like... I think it's one of those films from Pixar that, like, the more you watch it as you're an adult, you're going to love it. Because, like, I don't, like, you know, it's a cute mouse cooking as a kid. But, like, there's a lot going on in Ratatouille that I just don't feel like you can get as a kid. It's a kid's movie for adults, yeah. Personally, Everything Ever All at Once is my favorite Ratatouille movie. Um, Same. Raccoonie. yes. Anyway, uh, yeah, Wally is my number two. Um, I so badly want it to be my number one, uh, but we're, I mean, because we're talking, Wally is already like in my twenties of maybe tens of my favorites of all time. Also, screw um, Auto and is evil. Ugh, <laughs> that's just so inspired of uh, doing that homage to Hal Nine Thousand as the villain of Wally. Just mm-hmm. like yeah. God dang autopilot love it uh so that just leaves our number ones um i think i could piece together but but we'll we'll let you guys reveal your own number ones uh may what do you got i honestly don't know if this was expected by anybody but i have Snowpiercer is my number one. Oh, i was gonna say night of the living dead because you were asked about it about, about i still earlier. don't i still don't quite consider it uh, post-apocalyptic like i like i mentioned okay I, I tried to be as like absolutely strict as i possibly could uh snow pierce is honorable mention for me that, so that movie's great if i thought about it that would have definitely placed the <laughs> like 100 <laughs> yeah Snowpiercer is just like every now and then I talk about a movie and I'm like, it feels like whoever made this took like a machine drilled into my brain, found everything I like, and then just threw those specific set of chemicals on screen and made it into a movie. That's what this movie feels like to me a lot of the time. It is, of course, dark and horrifying and awful, but it is one of the most emotionally resonant rides I've ever seen in my life. Every single beat, every single character is in service of a greater emotion as you go through the story. It is some of the most masterful filmmaking I've ever seen in my life. If if Parasite, if if Parasite didn't exist, it would easily be my favorite Bong Joon-ho movie. And I love every single movie I've seen by him. Love every single movie I've seen by him. Probably yeah, here. I mean, as much as I love Memories of Murder, yeah, you're probably right. If Parasite didn't exist, it'd be my favorite. And honestly, I might throw on Snowpiercer more than Parasite. It's more it's the much more like just blatantly entertaining movie, I'd mm. say. It's just it's so creative and interesting. Yeah. It's I just I love seeing it. I love watching a movie and being able to tell the person that's making this loves what they're making right now. Mm-hmm. And I feel that so hard with Snowpiercer. It is one of the best movies of the twenty tens, in my opinion, all time. I know I don't hear that in the conversation often, but it's incredible. I love it. Yeah, for sure. Cast is so impressive. Oh man. 
John Hurt is barely in it. <laughs> and he's great. All right, Shane, we, we've talked about Fury Road a lot, but do you have anything to add? Just number one. And I feel like if you say post-apocalyptic to me, I'm thinking Mad Max and that's it. So I yeah, it, The words post-apocalyptic, I probably think Mad Max Fury Road landscape, but it's a much broader category than just that. You know, I think nuclear fallout, but... Everybody um, get your leather. I have, yep. an, I have an interesting question. Do you think outside of Mad Max that if Mad Max didn't happen like ever, do you think post-apocalyptic films would be even nearly as popular as they ever got? Yes. To me, they would look very different though. We would have a lot more of the futuristic post-apocalyptic, not the like desert wasteland buildings destroyed, hollowed out. We would have More a lot left. more of the like Terminator style post-apocalyptic. Okay. okay. It's just to me, to me, I always like, I see post-apocalyptic movies and I'm like, I cannot not see the Mad Max in this. Like I just see reverence for it. I, I think, even in the Terminator, yeah. even in the Terminator, I see it like the, the action scenes in the yeah. future of that feel like the same exact pace and style of filmmaking as Mad Max. It's it's clear that Max is, Mad Max franchise is the most influential on this genre. But just don't say that to James Cameron. <laughs> I think <laughs> Man, there's lots of things I want to say he's, to James Cameron. He's, um, he's too busy living in his submarine. He's stop fine. making Avatar sequels. He's he's he seems to be better. Like most people agree, he's better at sequels than original movies. Maybe Avatar Two is the next Aliens. Who knows, man? Yeah, but I like Alien more than Alien. I wish he well, just but... started making all these Terminator movies, and then we didn't have to have the other Terminator movies that we got. Yeah, I love the Terminator yeah. franchise. You right? <laughs> that just it's my thoughts. But I have no other thoughts to add to my number. Okay, one. Just that's fair. We talked about it for a while. It's yeah. pretty. Uh, you guys know you know my number one uh, it, because I mentioned it. Asking clarify question earlier. It's it's the Matrix. Um, it's just one of the best movies ever made. Um, awesome. This, this movie would have been my number one if I thought of it before the list. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it's. I know. It, it, I wrestled with it because I was thinking, is it actually post-apocalyptic? But no, it it one hundred percent is. Like. Like the more I think about it, the more I'm like, no, no, it definitely is. Because the more you, because the more you interact with the world outside the Matrix, like, no, it is absolutely post-apocalyptic. It's just, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. It's a machine apocalypse, right? Exactly, just like the Terminator. It's a machine. Well, and that's the other thing. I thought about like, do I want to consider this just only being natural, um, like only things that like aren't, but like that's way too specific because it. That we, I would have to specify natural post-apocalyptic. And well, and be fair, if there's going to be apocalypse, we're definitely <laughs> it's us, yeah. we're doing it. True, but like the ones that I could could consider natural would be Wally, Planet, uh, the Planet of the Apes, at least the Caesar trilogy. No, because Children the, of Men the, would count. The disease that is that is made in is specifically genetically engineered to make the apes the way they are so it's an unnatural well but disease. but but at least for war there's the progression okay of... that's that's fair that's fair. so there's yeah i mean i totally agree rise was, yeah. but nature's making it worse mm. <laughs> well, is but i feel like i feel like dawn is just that one has mutated i think war is an entirely new disease that came in with the nosebleeds and the lack of vocal, the the no vocal I assumed, I, it was, I assumed it was the same one. It's been, it's been a hot second since I've seen it. I just thought it was a new thing that came in, not just a new strain. So I'm still blaming. I, I, I could definitely be very wrong. <laughs> I still blame um, humans, yeah. Yeah, humans are still blame. Fine. Yeah. Uh, anyway. <laughs> um, no, I could talk about Matrix for a while. There's no reason. It's incredible. Uh, uh, 
other than just forgetting that the fourth one exists. So. Oh, well, do you, then do you but, want me to ruffle some feathers? I can ruffle some feathers here. You and Robert I, can go talk about what you like. <laughs> I, think, I think that the fourth one is the best in the series, and I will stand by that. I will die on that hill. I, I love it. No, it's, it's one, two, three, four. That's, that's, the, that's the way it's, it goes. It's, it's four, one, three, two. Just to clarify for everyone else. It's, um... <laughs> And I would throw the Animatrix in there if I'd seen it. So I want to see that. Probably pretty high. The first act of Resurrection made me angrier than I think I've ever been watching in a long time. <laughs> I did yeah. settle down. Anyway, but I've seen the movie. anyway, the first the first Matrix movie is is all time filmmaking. It's it's in my top ten of all time. It's great. Um, it's hard for me to argue loving that movie. No, it's the Matrix. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's easy for me to argue loving Matrix Resurrections, but we'll move on. <laughs> uh, so honorable mentions. Um, I have uh, six that are still left on the board. So uh, we won't talk about these in any sort of depth because um, these are honorable mentions. They don't get the spotlight that much, but uh, anything that you want to mention. Um, I feel like let's just kind of go in a rotation if you have any left. Uh, well, in, in our same order, just just give one, maybe two, and then, yeah. Can, can keep going may may do you have a couple honorable mentions um ones i didn't know were, could qualify akira and dread were there but ones that i knew would qualify um i like this movie not many people do i really like Waterworld. sorry everybody <laughs> i also had dread on my list but yeah I, uh it's great yeah, Shane, you got a couple well now that i thought about it more definitely the matrix and snow <laughs> <laughs> right yeah the matrix <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And Wally. So. Yeah. <laughs> that's why these lists are always so fun because you're like, oh, that totally works. <laughs> that's why yeah. these lists I always take with a grain of salt because, like, yeah. I could be completely forgetting my favorite movie at Wally. Yeah. But, you know, somebody brings it up and you're like, oh, crap, I forgot that. But not your second favorite movie. I did Fury Road. Fury Road is I, number I, one. <laughs> no, I, I, can't, I can't think of a way to make Lord of the Rings post apocalyptic. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> And Shane, what is what is your favorite movie out of curiosity? Lord of the Rings. Oh, oh, okay. I thought that was Aaron's favorite. Uh, I mean, you know. No, I just said Planet of the Apes is my favorite trilogy of all time. <laughs> right, 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 right. Man, my yeah. brain is slow today. I apologize. <laughs> I don't know about you. Um, one o'clock in the morning here. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Couple couple ones I have on here. Um, really in the spirit of this, I think Book of Eli is a pretty great movie. Um, not enough to make a top five of this mm-hmm. list, but like that movie's legit and has one of the best endings of all time. Um, and uh, I'll throw out my zombie pick. Uh, it's Dawn of the Dead, the Zack Snyder, James Gunn one, mostly because I haven't seen the Romero one. Um, but I, I, I still think even if you have seen the Zack Snyder directed James Gunn written one is is great. That's all right because so, it's better than the original. Anyway, let's move it's, on. From cool. That. All right, that I, I think that's a hot take, but it is. Maybe that's okay. why it's Zack Snyder's best movies. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, May, do you have any more? A couple you want to throw out? Uh, if I thought enough, but I think I've got most of the ones that I got. Shane, did, did I say Kira? You did say Kira. Okay. Um, the other three I have are This Is The End. Um, <laughs> Haven't seen it. Again, kind of as Apocalypse is happening, but like... Well, no, because the, the rapture happens like quickly and then it's post-apocalyptic for us. Anyway. Aren't there like monsters in that movie? Well, they're like demons. Yeah, they're like demons. Oh, dang. but it's mostly like the rapture happens and then there's just like the this world is a exploding. religious apo- uh, apocalypse. So we have yeah. the rapture. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And then um, Zombieland, of course, my favorite zombie movie. And 
the the other one here too. I was thinking, man. All right, I listed this, and initially I was like, yeah, that totally counts. But now I'm thinking about it. Like, does it? I've Edge of Tomorrow. Like, I don't think the world's really ended yet. This part of the world has been ravaged, but like, there's civil, civilization right, because 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 the third act, like where they go into, was it London? Like, yeah, like it Paris? looks unaffected. So, oh. I would say, yeah, whatever whatever city it is, like, it looks unaffected. It's just they're having this fight at the shore. But initially, I was like, oh, yeah, because there's, like, a bunch of desolate places around. And, you know, mankind is kind of on its last leg. But we'll say I'd say that's probably dystopian. So that doesn't count. So anyway. Also, the military. Luckily, it was an honorable mention anyway. The military in that movie doesn't seem to be, like, characterized as, like, really starving for resources or anything so we're assuming that's true they're assuming they're, that's they're, true they're still getting stuff from somewhere yeah. we'll we'll check this into the dystopian not not actual post-apocalyptic but good thing it wasn't on my top five so it doesn't matter invasions anyway. yep uh cool well that just leaves us with the spinoff and then we can wrap this thing up so um shane why don't you start first what we do in the shadows because this show just keeps it going and i love every second of it like, I'll just go on TikTok to FX's TikTok and just watch all the clips of uh, Laszlo, Matt Barry, just saying the most glorious things on television. Because just the whole cast is perfect. What they're doing, especially in this fourth season with the, with the child that uh, <laughs> sprouted from Colin Robinson, as they put it. And, you know, this is just such a hilarious show. And... I would have to think really hard to think of a show that sprouted from such a great film that just was so great in its own right. And four seasons in, it's still going strong, man. Unless you count Westworld. I, I was just thinking Westworld, but season two of Westworld kind of sucks. And you, I, is, is the original movie considered great? I was no. about to say that. Would you consider right. the original one great? It's no. it's a interesting I seen thriller because it, it's very basic yeah. um, kind it of thing. It was like 75 too, right? It was like, Something like, like that. Yeah, it was like Michael Crichton early directing right. a yeah. film. But yeah, like I just love what we do in the shadows. It could have been Wellington Paranormal, love that show too. Um yeah. honestly, FX in its own right is just killing it. Like Archer's back. They've always been Reservation Dogs. Um I'm even watching that show about Ryan Reynolds and um Yeah. I wanna watch that one. Mac Rob McLaney. And they're uh a football team from Wales. Yeah, wrecking Rexingham. Yeah, AE or something like that. I, so, I yeah. saw the trailer I, I, for that for the first time like a day ago, and I had never heard of it before. I was like, "Where has this been?" I, d- I didn't know. This I didn't existed. want to watch it based off the premise, and then the trailer was like, "No, this looks great." I just yeah. saw a John Campion video. It's like <laughs> this show makes me care about soccer. <laughs> <laughs> what, yeah, but Ted Lasso does that already. So yeah, I'm still not a. Fan, but I'm at least willing to watch something about a sport I don't care about. You know, I've seen football movies all my life too, so you know. <laughs> anyway, I, I don't care about most of them, so and I like sports movies, <laughs> right? Uh, so mate, what's your spinoff? One thing in any of your pop culture you want to recommend or warn? Oh, yeah. Um, I seem to have made it a trend on this show, a tradition to recommend music. So I am going to recommend a entire band and uh, stay with me here if you haven't heard of them. They're called King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. They are from Australia. Oh, yeah. King Gizzard. <laughs> <laughs> they are. From... Oh, yeah. I've got, I've got them on my on my Zune. You, you should. You should <laughs> Your Zune. Oh, I owe his Zune. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was trying to my, the the <laughs> joke in my head. I wanted to formulate something that was like, "Oh yeah, everybody has it." But then I was like, "Zoom." <laughs> oh, 
King, King, King Lizard and the Gizzard Wizard? King, King Gizzard, Gizzard and the Lizard, Lizard Wizard, yes. Um, they are from Australia, and they started in 2012, and they are so freaking, like, they have such a work ethic. And since 2012, in 10 years, they have made 20 albums. Some years, they released Damn. five albums in one year. They are absolutely crazy. They love to transform genres album to album seemingly at random but the thing is is that they're always good it's the kind of thing that i mentioned earlier you know when you like you watch something in this case listen to something and you can very easily tell they love what they're doing Mm. you feel that almost every album here not every album is a 10 but like they just seem to such care about music in such a deep way that they will even take a genre that's not been heard since the late 70s and make a whole album about it and make it this like weird fresh new thing and it's just so fun and inventive like there's one of my favorites by them is called nonagon infinity and the entire album plays as one continuous like 46 minutes like every song goes into one another goes into one another and at the end if you have the album on repeat the final song bleeds into the first song so it's an infinite infinite loop of an album that's Mm. just one of the many concepts they do they okay you do microtonal tuning it's everything like it is incredible. I'd recommend listening to a lot of their stuff. Fishing for Fishies is great. Paper Mache Dream Balloon, Infest the Rat's Nest. All of it is fantastic. So if you I'll like, check it out. If you like rock music, it's it's very good. I do like rock. Um, for my spinoff, I don't like to do this, but I'm going to because having watched the four Mad Max movies, um, that didn't give me a lot of time for other things. So, um, and I'm playing a video game right now, but like, I'm not done with it. So I don't want to say yes or no. Um, and it's not a relevant video game anyway. So, um, I watched the pilot of the house of the dragon and really enjoyed it. Um, thought it was great. I don't normally like to do like current TV stuff because I like to just save it for the TV catch up stuff episodes but i've seen the pilot we're recording this on the day that the second episode came out and i haven't seen the second episode yet because like i said i'm busy but it's really interesting um first of all i think the score is incredible i mentioned last week raymond uh, ramin jawadi two weeks ago that ramin jawadi is one of my favorite composers ever um maybe my favorite i think he's doing awesome work here because like the score is so reminiscent of game of thrones but it's different enough and i think the story harkens to some things to kind of set it in the game of thrones universe but ultimately like it feels like that's all we're going to get just to establish itself and now it'll be its own thing it's well acted it's well written um i'm excited to see where the show goes um and and it's also one of those things like i was so afraid of the show because the first couple seasons of game of thrones are so slow because there's so much setup to get to um and i just didn't want that again but they're like yeah but instead of introducing house stark and house targaryen and house lannister and all that they're like this is just focusing on house targaryen and we'll mention the starks but that's just for like you know you know the starks exist and all that so it's like there's not as much world building they need to do because they're going into an already established universe just in the past. So anyway, the show's starting off on a great foot. I think I really, really, really enjoyed the pilot. Okay. So. As someone who's never seen game of Thrones, would I enjoy it if I watched it? Whew, that's an interesting question. I know what happens in game of Thrones. Like I've like, I could not avoid being on the internet and not seeing all the spoilers, but like... you, I think you could enjoy it. I think there would definitely be things that you'd, like need to have somebody fill in the gaps on or like, or, or at least like need to like read some Wikipedia articles or whatever. Like they mentioned, they mentioned the white walkers coming and that's like, obviously I know that's the whole thing. I know what that is basically, but there's a lot of like little details. Like the, the pilot, 
this I don't think it's a spoiler to say establishes the gold coats, which isn't a huge thing. It really doesn't matter. Yeah, I've never heard of that before. I don't think. <laughs> I feel They're like... essentially just police brutes in King's Landing. Okay. I feel like um, on some level you like you don't need to watch Game of Thrones to watch at least based off of the pilot. They do a good right. job of setting up all the characters. You get the idea like this is a kingdom and they need somebody to be the successor. And like those kinds of things, like on the bare bare surface of it all, you can watch it. Okay. It, it's too early to answer your question. Okay. But and like But ultimately, I think it's set up in a way it's an, it's entirely new characters. There are no overlapping characters. So it's just some of the world building which it, it, it like I said it might leave you blank in a couple spots, but, okay. but like yeah, you probably I've heard it's like a prequel, but like I didn't know like in what style. Like is this a prequel like a solo Star Wars story or is this a prequel like thousands of years before? It takes almost 172 172 years before okay. Game of Thrones. Okay. And is there anything in Game of Thrones where like people live a, like a long time or anything like that so you might see uh, like I think there are some people <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, I think I mean the White Walkers, but other than them I think like witches can or people that are magic beings, but I don't 172 years, I, I think would be long for even a magic being. So I don't think we'll see not like better call Saul breaking bad stuff. Like, yeah, I, I don't was, think we'll see. I was wondering like Lord anything of the Rings, like, like, like elves, like how we're seeing Galadriel in this new show apparently. Mm. And so like, I was wondering if that was going to be like the same case. There. No, no game of Thrones doesn't have stuff like that. Okay. So okay. I, I really feel like it'll be mostly independent, but Again, we'll still hearken to the world that has already been established in Game of Thrones. So if you're interested enough, you probably will be fine. Okay. And also, so like, as I'm assuming both of you finished the whole show, Game of Thrones? Yeah. 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 Knowing that apparently most people hate the last season, is it worth watching the whole thing? Because I've, sure. I've known it's great. People told me it's great until that last season. People told me, oh my God, it's the worst thing that's ever happened on a screen of all time. And I'm like, you don't watch enough stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I've seen me. the they didn't watch. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. Um, when you watch as much stuff as I do, you find the worst things that you're going to watch on a screen. Um, it's just, I feel like t- tons of people are so emotionally charged about Game of Thrones and mm-hmm. expectations. I don't hate the last season. I definitely think it's worth going all the way to the end. Like, I wasn't 100% satisfied with some of the decisions that they made. But, like, I felt the need to finish the story. Um, yeah. I thought I had a stronger feeling to finish the story than George R. R. Martin. <laughs> <laughs> it's, look, it's, I don't hate the last season, but I don't like it either. Um, it's not enough to say don't watch the show, but especially because if you're only getting into it now, you've known nothing but hatred of it for the last two or three years. So, like, mm-hmm. fine. Like, your expectations are so low for the last season. Yeah, like I like as far as I know, like the last seasons, besides like various little moments, I know is just a bunch of people like just pooing on screen for like a few episodes, and then it's nothing. Like pretty much, like it's yeah. like by what I've heard uh, about it, that's all it is. <laughs> no, no, it, it's been so over over dramatized for all that. Um, the other thing too, also just totally t- non. The people that made Game of Thrones are not making House of Dragon, just so everybody knows. Like, oh. it's new showrunners, it's new producers. George R. R. Martin is involved in the making of House of Dragon, and he apparently was kind of overridden on a lot of things in the last two seasons of Game of Thrones. So, like, if if you were soured by the end of Game of Thrones, it is a new regime okay. back in. And so, anyway, total side, but just if you were burned by the last season of Game of Thrones, 
that doesn't mean you're going to just be in more for more of the same for House of Dragons. Yeah, Weiss and Benioff ran off to Netflix for tons and tons of Right. What are they doing and now? probably aren't going to make good stuff. Uh, after, like, as Game of Thrones was ending, they wrote Gemini Man. What? So. Did, what? Huh? They did, huh? They did that forgettable, awful, kind of not really good movie? <laughs> they wrote the movie that the only thing good going for it was the visuals. You made a person into another, another person? person? <laughs> <laughs> Is that yep? Anyway, I just for my spinoff, I just mostly wanted to say I'm really liking House of Dragon. I'll have more updates yeah, in the coming weeks. One. Yep. Uh, but that'll do it. That's a wrap. So remember that uh, you can follow Shane and May. Um, remember there, I got their Twitter handles in the description if you want to hear more from them. Um, you can also follow me follow me on Twitter, Letterboxd at Schweit Castle. And quick reminder that Sip Pop Writers Room is part of the Studio DNA Network. You can check out other great shows at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. And uh, if you want to get in contact with the show, send us a question to explore during the B plot or um, do anything like that. Uh, maybe you want to write for sifpop.com, then you can email writersroom at sifpop.com. Uh, and then please don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes if you're listening there. We'd really appreciate five star reviews only. Um, <laughs> if you made it this far, hopefully you would think it's a five star review podcast anyway. I don't know why you would leave it anything less if you still are listening to this point. Or three hours Next in the week, recording. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, um, I'll be talking a nostalgia movie with Chris. He picked The Count of Monte Cristo. Um, that'll be the only movie we do, um, a movie I've not seen. So we'll do the, the 2002 or three Jim Caviezel one for the record, by the way. So, um, I've, I've owned it for a couple of years. I've wanted to see it. Just haven't yet. So, um, so we'll talk about kind of Monte Cristo being Chris, uh, and then next month we don't have this in the rotation cause this is a fifth Wednesday. Um, so we don't have a fifth Wednesday next month, but we do have one in November and we will be talking uh i have a couple guests on to talk about avatar given that avatar 2 will be coming out so um yeah that's some stuff coming up on the podcast but uh that'll do it for this episode thanks guys for joining me i had a great time uh really did yeah thank you man for sure and i'm glad that we could talk all things post-apocalypse and mad max and all things of shane's favorite shane's shane's namesake (laughs) Uh, and all the great stuff about a, a, a such a hit or miss franchise in my opinion but uh, i'm glad i finally have seen all four movies all right well we'll see you next week thanks for coming in